pizza party. That's the name. You make a pizza, as you can see, with onions, mushrooms, or pepperoni. You could lose if you have to switch, so you'd better be sharp. You better be slick. Party. Party new from Parker Brothers. We're recording, we're going, we're rolling. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, mama's a me mama, papa's a poor papa, baby's a bad baby. Uh, heaven's the Mercatroy. <laughs> you know what today is? Today is, uh, you the, know, we say every episode is a very special episode. But, but today, this is probably the most specialist today episode we've had of special episodes. Spe- most specialist episode to date. Of special episodes. Yeah, of any episodes. This because well, I this mean, is, I guess you could say that our first, the Punisher cast, was probably the most special because it was the first, or because, because it was, it was a Punisher. Because <laughs> for me, it's, it's like it's two for you. It's because it was the Punisher, but it was our first one, so it's the most significant. And it also one. gave me added significance for years. I tarnished that movie. I, I blacklisted that movie, and it really gave me like a new like. This is really good. I shouldn't give it. Yeah, to you. I mean, it was it opened up your eyes to a whole new yeah love. I'm like, Punisher. Yeah, um, and we're linked, and they're linked, in a way. They are linked. Yeah, w- w- what we're doing today. Well, um, uh, it's like let's let's. I have a little quick uh, f- uh, fifteen second story, which will which will get us to right what we're talking about. Uh, you and I. Uh, uh, welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night, Night Movie Sleepovers. sleepovers. <laughs> we're here. <laughs> we should make like a little. Dun, da, 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 like yeah, a button like, we hit. <laughs> Saturday Night Movie <laughs> Sleepovers. Away. And a spoiler <laughs> button. Yeah, um, I'm here uh, with Jay Blake. I'm Dion Baia. Saturday night movie sleepovers. That's what we do. That's what we are. It's a late Saturday night. Uh, it is a late Saturday night. We're keeping our eyes open. I'm tired tonight. I know. I'm tired too. You can hear it in my voice. All that screaming week. and hooting like a girl. <laughs> it was a long week. Yeah, I lost <laughs> all my highs. Um, you, you and I talk about, and we said it on the cast about how we're big fans of uh, uh, Antenna TV, like Antenna. Ariel. Like yeah, it, yeah. Like, you know, so... Old school. Old school. So, so like, um, you know, back in the day, uh, girls and boys. <laughs> <laughs> open, your, open your books to page 35. <laughs> there used to be before. There was a time when cable didn't exist. Or it existed and not a lot of people yeah, had only it. Yeah, the only I'm not, you know, the time, you know, when, like, wa- bottled water became a thing. It was like... I'm not spending a dollar for a bottle of water. So get get out of the spigot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it out. <laughs> fill up your, your, your dad's old uh, pewter <laughs> container. You know. But there was a time where people were like, I'm not paying for TV. We yeah. got it on it the It comes tunnel. off the airwaves. <laughs> You know, and it's true, and it's that's and people. It's to the point now where people forget that, and I try to tell people that, like the the building I live in, you know, we have an antenna on top of it, and it works great. We live near New York City, so we get all these channels. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. You don't have to pay six hundred dollars a month for cable. You can actually just cancel that shit and and, and <laughs> get it off the airway, just like the radio. And people are like, really? For someone that works for cable television. <laughs> I know, exactly. I'm like, cancel it, man. <laughs> cancel it. Screw my job. Yeah, I'm an anarchist. You know, who cares? I don't care. I'm living off of you anyway. <laughs> Both of us work for in, in cable television. And we're telling people to cancel. 
Um, but there's a, there's a channel which has just come up. It was on in, uh, in the uh, antenna, the actual aerial, and now I think it's actually on people's cable providers. So I want you to go check it out. It's called Buzzer. Buzzer. B-U-Z-Z-R. And I never was a really f- big fan of Game Show Network uh, ever. In the old days, it was fun. And now, I don't. it's not really that fun. Your sister but is a big fan of the Game yeah, Show Yeah, she Network. loves the Game Show Network. It's fun. I mean, you can sit down and you can watch yeah, stuff. Well, you it's know, interesting. It's, uh, you know, it passes, passes the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, and it's, and you know, they have some fun stuff, but it never was really my cup of tea. This <laughs> particular channel, Buzzer, is, it plays stuff from uh, game shows from the 50s from the conception of television up until like the 80s so that's like prime shit now, we've seen stuff from the 70s and the 80s they're also, they're also used to like which I thought was really weird on like they'd show like late on Sunday nights they'd show Monster Garage with Jesse James so it was on like they were buzzer? E- yeah I never it was like that. midnight on Sunday nights. They don't do it anymore. But oh, they're just maybe trying to find. They're trying yeah, to yeah, they're trying to space. Trying to find. You know, their, getting their niche, niche there. Trying to see if they could do something. Anyway, so yeah, for the most part, you're right. It's so like and, and black and, and white to and 70s. Yeah, and what's really surprising for me is all the older stuff. I've never seen the 50s and early 60s uh, game shows. All the stuff that like ended up in the 50s, like the quiz show thing that happened and people got in trouble and it was like you know because they shout were, out to Robert Redford. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, you know because they were really in John Turturro. Is he in that movie? Quiz? Show. John Turturro, uh, uh, great movie. Rafe Fines, and uh, the guy from Northern Exposure, Rob Morrow. Okay, look at you, was reading it right off your hand. Uh, <laughs> I brought notes about the movie Game Show. I thought that's what we were doing. I thought we were doing that tonight. Well, you can put them all away now. We'll do that next <laughs> week. Um, and we're getting in the weeds here. It's longer than I needed to be. But what I'm saying is, um, there's a whole debacle too. Fifties. You should look into that. What happened? There was a whole. Everyone. They were setting the game shows up. Which is, can you imagine that was happening well, that's today? What that movie's about. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Go see Quiz Show. <laughs> so I'm watching Buzzer one night, uh, late at night, and I forget what show it was. It was one of these like uh, I have a secret or one of these things. And what's really cool with these shows is they actually, you know, back in the old days. The show would be sponsored by a sponsor, and then it would be, you know, General Motors presents the show or whatever. So uh, since the sponsors are so tied into the show, they even play the old sponsors' commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it cuts to a commercial, 3 in the morning, I'm sitting there with my eyes half open, and it, it cuts to a Clairol commercial from, like, the early 60s. And it shows a girl bouncing around, and it's Clairol about hair, or hair dye for women. And then in the end... The tagline says, hair color so natural, only your hairdresser knows for sure. And I stood up in bed, and I said, <laughs> on the bed. I stood up on bed. I was standing on my dog your, and my wife. Your head yeah. scraping the top uh, of the Yeah, <laughs> watching out for the, the fans. Like, woo, 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 woo. And I said to myself, holy shit, that's the reference. 26 years later, from 1989 to today, I understand the reference uh, that was being made in the movie that we're covering tonight. You know, hair color of uh, yeah, uh, yeah. hair color so natural only your undertaker knows for sure, and and it, it's a reference to this Clairol commercial from the early sixties. Maybe that was the ad campaign. Brings me to what we're doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's still culturally so it ties it on together. <laughs> it, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a whole microcosm of my life. Uh, it's still culturally relevant for me today. We're doing 1989's Batman. 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 <laughs> Batman. Uh, an amazing, amazing movie for, for, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, we should also say that the reason why we chose this movie is because today, on this late Saturday night, we are celebrating 
our one year anniversary. That's why it's which a special. Which is why we got off topic. That's why it's a very extremely most specialist episode. Yeah, it's the, the most date. special of episodes. It's uh, our one year anniversary. Yeah. Uh, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yes, I don't know what to give happy you. Is it, is anniversary. It, is it gold or what do we give each other? I don't know. What, I don't know what we give each other. For. This is where we take out the cake from the freezer and, yeah. eat, and we yeah. <laughs> and we eat yeah. the, the top one. A, a, as of course, as which autonomous, uh, we'll be eating something a little later. A little tease. As, uh, Stay as, tuned. As heterosexual uh, friends, we've, we've we've kept cake for the for the year anniversary. Well, no, we'll be eating. No, we won't. We're not we'll be eating this this sweet baby. Yeah, we're, we're keeping that as a secret till later on. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> more, 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 to, more to come. Uh, but so, uh, first, us, our year anniversary. It's not exactly the year as such that like we're dropping on the same day. But at the end of September of 2014, we started this thing. The Punisher, Dolph Lundgren was Dolph the first. Dolph and the Punisher. Yeah, yeah Mark Goldblatt. Which we probably talked about this movie. Yeah, because that was probably the reason why. No, we we said at the time not to regurgitate it, but it was like they were in production at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So but Marvel was trying. And ain't that kind of weird that you think <coughs> that like you know Batman DC puts out Batman, and Marvel tries his best to get out that Punisher and it, and it goes straight to DVD to put out video. really like their dark non superhero, you know, vigilante movie. And they did a good job. So it's they not even like, even you could say like they put out Spider Man and Batman would be like, ah, but they put out like yeah they're they're the, char- the character that's like closest to Batman in a lot of ways yeah especially. If we're getting back to the origins of Batman and this particular movie as well, but uh, our year anniversary, we've done a lot of stuff. The whole spin of a hell of a year, and we've had we've we've gotten people online who seem to like what we're doing, which I, I know I find we went from zero to like two people <laughs> listening <laughs> to us and to ca- caring about what we were doing to our parents listening to now you know get a handful. We of have people. a growing. A community, but of it's sleepover fanatics. It's fun because we've 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 touched a nerve. We've opened that that skin up, and we found a nerve, and, and we get a lot of really nice messages on our Facebook page and whatnot. And they're oh, they're they're always like reminiscing. It's always like they're like you know this reminds me, and it's kind of like how we start the casts off. You know, yeah. with, with um, I know we do. We get <coughs> we get stories. I mean, we get people tell us stories, and that's of their it's experience. Awesome. I mean, it's awesome the one they take the time to do it. Yeah, like in great. a day where like you know who's got time to take a shit? <laughs> yeah, let alone freaking you know, <laughs> message a couple shit of strangers. And then, and then the, yeah, they're mess- messaging us while they're taking the shit. So that's even like <laughs> in their private well, time. Well, they got they got to multitask. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a you know, they're looking at their iPad on the. Uh, I'll mention these guys, but. So. Yeah, I mean, I think a, bar, a large part of why we did this, besides the fact that, like, you and I were going to talk about movies anyway, we might as well just record it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the other part of it was, like, I think, for me anyway, and I think the same for you, was a lot about nostalgia. And so, like, we live not, in the past, <clears throat> sadly. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing with our generation, really. I think we're, I think we're more nostalgic in a way that... Uh, other generations before us haven't been, which is weird because like, every I don't think like, our parents had time to be nostalgic. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's especially their and their parents like it seems like nostalgic it, about what when like the, the, the war the, was on the or? depression. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there was great times and there were great movies. Yeah, yeah, depression. yeah, yeah. Like, but you know, I remember King Kong. Yeah, which you know, I'm sure they were nostalgic in a certain way, but it seems like nostalgia is a very well, generations have always been kind of nostalgic, <coughs> but ours, I think, has been especially nostal- nostalgic because we've kind of, s- we know now, like, Monday morning quarterbacking what we had and what was there and, and the, the perfect, yeah. like, you'll we never get like, that back. Yeah. Which is, we also know. had, like, 
I don't, you know, of course we're biased, but we also had like the best of shit. We had like the best toys, the, ba- and, the best Saturday. And we're also, <laughs> yeah, well, we're best. also on a cusp, our age group, um, you know, recently, um, you know, you and I have been traditionally supposed to be Generation X, but now I'm hearing that we're millennials. There's yeah. actually a huge debate yeah, about this like, now. We're like right on the line. Of Generation X millennials yeah, and people, yeah. it's like it really goes back and forth. Like I guess there's like scientists in a room yelling at each other. <laughs> no, the, they had to be twenty-one. Yeah. And the, 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 that's like No, they had to be twenty. And this when is how the, these when people the get. Changed. And this is how they get freaking. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, they get uh, uh, season tenure, just doing this shit, like arguing about this. But <laughs> uh, my point is, we our age group, you know, that's that's all they do. They just. They, I, they, they just I love how we like create these scenarios in like boardrooms. Yeah, with guys with cigars smoking. <laughs> Uh, that's just what happens in <laughs> Arguments life. Arguments happening. Um, but we ha- are in such an age group where we saw, you know, it was pre-computers for the most part. We were, everything yeah, was I mean, still we analog. Yeah, Trail, but other than that. But that was in the late 80s. You know, I mean, th- you know, computers were there, but it wasn't really like in, in no way. Frogger. You know. It was really like. Uh, and bo- yeah, and, bo- and we had video games. I mean, we just got home consoles. We, we still had, uh, you know, you still had long distance calling. We had rotary phones. Toys were just coming into being in the 70s into the 80s and really got, hey, we can sell a shitload of toys. And <laughs> we can merchandise the crap out uh, yeah, of we could get We can get young kids money like <laughs> it's nobody's their money. Yeah, through their parents by doing, you know, freaking Cabbage commercials. Patch Kids. the best commercials. Commercials too. and, uh, you know. I was just reminiscing about commercials. Do you remember the Pizza Party commercial? Party. Pizza Party. party. Come on. <laughs> party. Pizza hey, look party. Hey, This is Brandon King. Pizza Party. Yeah, I remember that shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you on, better be great cool. Commercials. You better be slick. Party. <laughs> pizza Party. Come on. Yeah. yeah it was a hashtag Pizza Party. And then here's, a, we like to give a little fact. Yeah, yeah come on. We're going to see if this can trend. <laughs> Hashtag pizza party. <laughs> Hashtag uh, pizza party. Uh, Come uh, on, we we always like happen. to we always like to give a uh, little um, personal um, uh, information about ourselves. Uh, not, not in that kind of way. Like we <laughs> I like to confide <laughs> in. Uh, yeah, I've had these feelings for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I shot a kid once. <laughs> Uh, that we, we you and I have a really weird interest <laughs> for some reason as we've gotten older and we realize that like. You know, we don't really need to go out anymore and spend money at bars and stuff like that. What, what do we, we do at home? Sleepovers. We can have <laughs> sleepovers. Well, that one, but we, we can all, go back to a time when we didn't have money. <laughs> no, we lived we, in our parents' we house. Did for fun. <laughs> but it's, uh, we, we have a big affinity for board games. Board games, yeah. Yeah, so that's like the pizza party. We should Boys see if we can find. There was a time <laughs> yeah. when you would bring out a bo- little board and play, and play a game on it. There was pizza. You know? And also, people forget, too, that that was part of the merchandising. You can go online, and we've, we've found some crazy stuff. Oh, like there's an Escape from New York board game that I want to get. Isn't even though crazy? Even though every review that I read of it is like, it's like the worst board game ever. Like, I, I don't care. I want a cartoon picture of snake plus get on a big rectangular box in my house trying right to get out now. of new york as soon as you can i i we bought the 1970s uh remake of king kong board game and that's fun but the board game is the twin towers yeah and yeah. it's and it's kong's trying to get to the top and you're trying to knock him up before he gets to the top of the twin towers and it's just so fun of these i mean there's a kojak board game there's a colombo board game there's uh, any kind of show you can think of uh for the most part there were board games. And even, like, the board games were so popular, you get Clue or Cluedo in England. That The movie Clue came out of the board game, and it was a good movie. You know, how the hell do you Classic. make a good movie out of a, out of a board game? <laughs> That's like, like trying to make Monopoly. Monopoly. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> or Sorry. How do you... Let's, and you can, see, there's, Shoots and ladders. There's, that, okay, that, there's that boardroom again. They're in a boardroom like, uh, Candyland. No, that's not going to be a good movie. <laughs> no, Shoots and ladders. Out. No, sorry. Life. And then it's like the, it's the behind the scenes. Like, we almost got the pre-production for Sorry, but we realized... 
it was either going to be Trivial Pursuit or Clue. We went with Clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, and then they, they show conceptual... Yahtzee. Th- yeah, they can show conceptual art of, like, here was the pre- pre-production stills of... Uh, well, they had board games for back in. I was <laughs> just at um, a convention uh, called RetroCon outside of Philadelphia. As recently. of this recording. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are people that just sell board games. Yeah, and I was like looking through them. And I was like, there was some, there was uh, off the top of my head, they had uh, Bionic Woman board oh. game, Charlie's Angels, and, board and game. these are off the TV show. Yeah, these are off like based yeah. on TV. So shows. you have the picture of like you know well, what's her face like, uh, all in the family <laughs> the board game. Well, I, I have like I have the Honeymooners board game. I have uh, the Ernest Borgnine show, McHale's Navy, which I never played the board game. I have uh, Jackie Gleason there was show a the Star board Trek game. One Star Wars, yeah, Star Trek, Star Wars, the GI Joe, the cartoon. Oh, the G.I. Joe game was, and it was gigantic. Yeah, but I it was always that. confused. It was. I, I remember we, me I, and my friend, would take it out because he had it, and it just looked too confusing. So we just played like with a, the little. It, like the board was like a puzzle because it was so. The board was so big, and the you had little cardboard cutouts that were basically almost the size of the figures, because the stands that you oh you could you could you could yeah. substitute them with figures because they had the little pegs. See that, that marketing play right foot. there? You could take your own toys at home, kids. <laughs> Take the shitty pieces of cardboard out and put your own guys. <laughs> and in I it. remember I had it, and then I one time like years after I bought after you know I had purchased it and I, or played it, I, I broke it out with some friends of mine, and I don't know, I you know for some reason we couldn't find the instructions. I don't know why they just don't pr- like. I think a lot of games they print the instructions on the inside of the box. They used to like, until it got too complicated, and then they give you like a pamphlet. Because then it's like we couldn't find the so like, we didn't know how to play. Yeah. So we just like made up our own. <laughs> <laughs> and just made like okay, well, you know, if you're all the dice, <laughs> we just made up our own. Rules I want to be that game. guy because there's there's games. So you know, uh, you and I will be buying stuff on eBay. We buy old. You can still get stuff like sealed. People who who why would somebody have a Kojak sealed in their closet for forty years? Is <laughs> nobody's uh, guess. But you know, you get it, you open it up, and it's. I want to be the guy who invents the game because you yeah, yeah. Th- you take these these moth. Uh, eating instructions out and you're reading these things and like you know it's amazing to think of someone there's somebody again in a boardroom who's like coming up with like yeah, the, yeah. the and I bet you if you somebody out there who went to like college for board game making or some sort of you know there's like a class on like the uh, the elements or the themes or the history of board gaming there's probably like three or four you know different games you can do and they just yeah, yeah they just yeah. you know just apply it to whatever yeah theme th- it's the template whatever. or whatever so that's another thing for us huge board so games <laughs> you know <laughs> i forgot why the fuck are we talking we're, about we're an games. hour into this podcast <laughs> we haven't even got anywhere so let me try to Stan, get this, this on still, why, why did we start talking about board oh because we're talking about like how we're into retro stuff and how in oh, the old okay, days yeah, we didn't yeah, have yeah. so we, we come from a time when we we had a really interesting part in history where you know you know, you know even 10 years ago with cell phone technology and stuff like oh, that yeah. You know, so it's imagine it's a it's amazing for me to think of being of the age I was when we went to see this Batman to have the technology we have today because I think a lot of this uh, this would have all been leaked. None of it would have been as exciting to see that. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I saw I mean, just this. Look at you know the new Star Wars, the the Batman, uh, the yeah, the Batman vs Superman, yeah, movies and like out. the Suicide Squad movie. All there's like something leaked from the Suicide Squad movie like every week. Yeah, like we're gonna see and the entire movie before it comes out. And trailers are so different <coughs> nowadays. Like trailers are like coming Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Darth Vader's kill is his father. And he's on a mission. <laughs> yeah, you know the entire movie. Yeah, you know. Okay, well, trailer. Okay, well, this is since we brought up trailers. That the trailer for this movie was really important. It was. It was. It was like I remember of the Tim Burton's 1989 Batman going to see Dream Team with Michael Keaton. Yeah, and Christopher Lloyd. 
uh, classic movie. <laughs> it's a great movie, but I thought that came out after this movie. I, I, may, I could be mistaken. Maybe they were running into the same time. In my mind, my, in my mind, it was like I, that maybe I was another movie. You know, things get changed in here. Because I used and to, I remember, like memory. I was, I was so into Michael Keaton that that was his next movie that he did. Like the next movie for me, I remember Jack Nicholson did the Two Jakes, which was his sequel to Chinatown, which didn't really uh, go over quite as well as Chinatown did. And I remember, like, oh, that's the next movie they did in Dream Team. I think I've only seen once, but that's like another sleepover classic. I remember. I could be wrong. But you, but you it, know what? It could have been, been another movie. You know what? It could have come out, and then Batman was doing April, so. Yeah, April '89. So there you go. So it, it must have played the whole summer, and they were. So, that's how I saw it in the summertime. So April '89, Batman comes out in late June of '89. June 23rd. So we go to see Dream Team with like. It doesn't matter who who I was with, but I was like my brother and these other people. <laughs> so we went to see it, and the Batman trailer comes on. Unbelievable! And you, I, you can hear a pin drop. <laughs> it blew my mind. I mean, it literally blew my mind. I didn't know that it was like you knew it was coming, and it's like Batman and Batman. But this was like the first time you're seeing images of it, and you're seeing like, where does he get those wonderful toys? Well, well, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but this is the first time, which I know, I actually know people who do this today. This was the first time back in 1989 where people were calling cinemas up, finding out when what trailer was it was going to be, and then they would go pay just to see the trailer. And I, like I said, I know guys who do that today who just go and pay to see the new, say, Star Wars trailer, the new, you know, from, uh, uh, which is crazy because at least here in the Prometheus city, or movies like twenty dollars. Yeah, but they would do that. They just go see the trailer. I've seen the trailer for freaking Fury Road twenty eight times. <laughs> it's like wow, that's good for you, man. That's pretty wow. impressive. Uh, it's pretty I impressive guess. your exposable, your disposable income as well. That's really nice. <laughs> you just spent three hundred dollars to see that trailer. <laughs> yeah, twenty times. Good for you, man. Fair play to you. Um, but this movie, it, it, it set the bar for so many things. Um, get, getting back to our childhood, um, do you remember when you were little, the grocery stores you used to go to? Sure. Do you remember any kind of like um, you know, niches? You grew up in the Philly area. Where there, do you remember specific, specific grocery stores that like, you know, you'd go and we talked about a lot of times grocery stores would have you know, a video store oh, clumped yeah, onto yeah, the yeah. front by the, by the pharmacy or the chemist. Well, by the time this came out, I wasn't living in Philadelphia anymore. But yeah, yeah, you remember Philadelphia was super fresh and the Albany area was like Price Chopper. Price Chopper. <laughs> They're still up there. Price Chopper. When I go to Lake George, uh, Price Chopper's still up Stuff there. Stuff like that. Uh, I remember going to like when, when, when I lived in the New Haven area, they had like Warehouse Foods, which, which went out of business very quickly. Uh, but there was this one-off place called Edwards, and it was in Milford. And it was uh, we had like uh, in the Connecticut area, we had like Stop and Shop, we had Pathmark, and we might have had a Rite Aid, but I never not Rite Aid, um, uh, Shoprite, but I never really went to the Shoprite. But the Edwards was like a superstore. It was really like an early kind of version of a semi Walmart, semi Costco, or Price Club, or Sam's Club yeah, before yeah. it came out. And it would be like a <clears throat> one off. My mom would go there and be like, oh, it'd be fun because it, since it had so much stuff in it, I can go off on my own and fuck around while she was getting yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, like the thing. So I remember like around April or May, part of this campaign where we were at Edwards one night, like on a Friday, and I come upon in the freaking aisle they had all the merchandising out and they had the Batman the movie hardcover book which is the making of the movie and then they had the novelization which uh, the name uh, of who, who did the novelization escapes me at the minute but they had those 
those two things Craig out. Craig Shaw Gardner. Yeah, and he, and he as well did the sequel. He did Batman Returns, so that's pretty cool how he did both the Burton movies because then when you get to the third with the Schumacher, he doesn't do those. Yeah. Uh, but they had those two there, and I sat down one night you know, while she's shopping, probably like in the, in the aisle, and just went through that whole hardcover book and bought it that night, and that was my first glimpse at this Batman. And I remember going to... Um, that summer we had, uh, prior to Batman, this is another, we, we just talked about the summer of 84 being amazing. And the summer of 89, prior to Batman coming out on June 23rd, you had uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, yeah, which was huge. Yeah. And I remember on the ride to, to the theaters, my dad took his friend to go, and I took my best friend, Martin McHugh. They were, t- my parent, my dad and his friend were talking about the, the uproar about Michael Keaton being cast as Batman, and he's going to ruin it, and how are they casting that guy, and that's it a controversy a, yeah, we can get to, you know. Yeah, it was a big deal. So I remember that conversation, and then you had Star Trek V that came out, and that kind of came and went, sadly, you know, because yeah. that was like the, probably the people consider that the shittiest of the, of the, of the, <laughs> yeah. of the original cast. I have a fondness. Yeah, you know, I do too. I think I it's great. I remember when my dad took me to see you know, that with the movies. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that, ha- that it wasn't Shatner who directed it as well. It wasn't really his fault, a lot yeah, of the special yeah. effects. And he had a future cast. Yeah, that's a future of of doing the Star Treks. Uh, That's after we do all the other ones. We have the Graphicon (laughs) and Undiscovered Country and, you know, whatever. Uh, And then you have Batman come out. But then you also had Lethal Weapon 2 came out. You had Ghostbusters 2, I think. You had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out. Uh, There is a third one there that was really big that I can't remember. So you had, like, some really heavy movies coming out that that summer. And uh, I think, you know, Batman was the biggest. It was crazy. Batman was... Like the biggest movie of all time. I mean, when yeah. it was made. I mean, it was like we we've talked about like the craziness of Star Wars, but the, you know, and pr- you put it in the perspective like Star Wars was a was a cultural phenomenon and and did change like really the course of pop culture and, and movies. The nineteen seventy seven original Star yeah, Wars, yeah, that came Star out of nowhere. Um. But I think, and it you know it was it was gigant it was ginormous. Um, but this was as we've often said, this was like our Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, because this was like the Star Wars for our generation. And as you pointed out before we started rolling, like the difference is like nobody knew anything about Star Wars. Yeah, it was just like, like Star luck. Wars was a gamble. Yeah, you know, like they it just like it hit the right time. I mean, every. Everything that it makes such a significant th- impact on stuff, it like the, the timing is is as important as anything else. But yeah. that just like hit, and it was like, you know, even when they were making Star Wars, it was like I don't know, like this is a crazy little movie. But it's like Batman, it's like they knew from day one, yeah, like, from like nineteen seventy nine when they, they optioned a, the rights, they had a property that had potential to be, uh, you know, a, if it was done right, yeah, and, and and they knew. I mean, and it seems oddly enough, the only person who had this kind of foresight was Jack Nicholson, because Nicholson kind of, uh, you know, coming into it, he's like, this is going to be sell like hotcakes, and he was like one of the original guys who he asked for, you know, a certain amount of money, but he also asked for a cut of the box office receipts, yeah, receipts. Yeah. and I think even merchandising receipts, and uh, Which, that was very wise, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, for him coming out, I mean, this movie uh, it grossed forty three million dollars, forty three point six million dollars in the opening weekend. You know, for nineteen eighty nine, that's huge. It, it broke the opening weekend 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 record, uh, and it ended up grossing in North America one hundred sixty point one five million uh, internationally, totaling four hundred four hundred eleven point three five million dollars. And it's the first uh, movie to earn $100 million in the 10, day, 10 days of its release. Yeah. And uh, it's the highest grossing DC film up until The Dark Knight of 2008. 
which is crazy. And we're, and we're talking about okay, Dark Knight comes out in two thousand eight. A movie, you know, it's far. It's hard for me to know because I live in like the most expensive city <laughs> in America. So for me to see the Dark Knight, it costs like eighteen dollars. Yeah. So we're talking about that's, that's almost ten years ago. You know, you know, and like Batman came out. At a time when a movie cost like four twenty five, yeah, <laughs> six dollars, yeah. Kids you know, like so the fact that it grossed that it much took, money, it, then yeah, it took so much time and so many and like so many Batman movies to then beat that box office at a time where like th- th- like you would have needed three times more people to see. Batman than to see the Dark Knight. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the the cost of t- like the how much it costs for people to see it. Like yeah, like Dark Knight made more like made more money, but probably like I said, like a third less people probably saw that movie at the movie theater than saw Batman. I mean, it's the first movie I'd ever seen. I saw that movie twice in the theater. I saw it opening night, and then later that summer we went to Lake George for yeah. For was, a, I saw it, it and I saw that the second I saw time. A midnight screening. Yeah, like that never happened. I, mean, I was ten. You know, so for like my stepdad took me to see it on a Thursday night. I had school the next day. Yeah, we went to see it, and then I saw it, uh, you know, a few weeks later with my dad and my brother again. So yeah, I saw that twice in the movies. Um, and then it's they say even though Indiana Jones and Last Crusade made the most money in 1989, Batman was able to beat Last Crusade in North America and made a further 150 million. Yeah, yeah, worldwide it, the Indiana Jones made, movie made more money, but and then Batman went on to make 150 million in home video sales alone because like, remember they 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 timed that shit perfectly and had it come out right for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know that's another thing a lot of people remember it being. Oh, I watched it at Christmas time because that's when the freaking VHS was released. Well, yeah. Well, that was also it was big. It was a pioneering movie in that way because like before that time, like. I don't. I can't. You know. I can't make the bold statement that Batman was the first one to do it. But you used to have to wait a long time between the release of the movie to like home video. video. Yeah, which now is in today 2015 is really sunk down to like um, two months. But it's partly because of this movie, I think, because like they rushed it out for Christmas, and so it really was only a few months by the time Batman was out of theaters. Which was like September. It came out. Yeah, it came out in June, but it probably was. You know, Second finally run. left theaters in like you're right, August, September. So then, like just two, three months later, it comes out on VHS. Um, so I think I think the shrinking of the time between home release and theatrical uh, release is probably largely due to like the success of home video, the home video release of this movie. Yeah, and they 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 also attributed to killing a lot of the um, the second run theater. Uh, markets because uh, they were rushing it out to to yeah. get it on home video, so a they're lot of those mom and pop smaller. <laughs> yeah, for the, for those for those. See, that's another girls. people who don't know. There used to be uh, if you lived up in the Albany, uh, Saratoga, Albany area, there was a movie theater called Cine Ten, and it would be like after it left the first run theaters. So if Batman came out in June. Like it would then play at Cine Ten in like October, September, October. Yeah, they get and it like, the like leftovers. and it would be like two bucks it, because it was a smaller theater. It wasn't as you know technically. Yeah, if the thing was in Dolby surround sound, maybe this only had stereo or you know. Yeah, well, also like what how it worked was like see, Cine Ten was owned by Hoyts, who owned the big chains in the area. But what happened was the theater. What people don't realize about movie theaters is like for the most part, movie theaters don't make 
money off of the box office. That's why the candy and the concession is so expensive because that's how they actually make their money because they have to like Regal, AMC or whatever, they actually have to rent the movies from the studio. So all the money that for the most part that they're making from the box office is going to actually paying for the print. Mm. So they don't make that money. Yeah. You know, and then so the way the but what was beautiful for them via the second run screenings was that by that time it was already paid for. So they can make so yeah. they could charge so much less money at the box office because all that was profit for them because they already paid for the renting of the print with the original first release. Yeah, I mean, the, the think about it, it's still impacting uh, cinema today. This movie, I mean, it, it also you know it it was the first movie to really show the importance of, like, the weekend box office receipts and them tallying it up. Like we said, it, it narrowed the window between the film's debut and the, uh, and the, the home video release. It killed the second-run theaters. Uh, it, it accelerated now that we kind of frown upon the pre-existing merchandising, you know what I mean? Like, or the realizing that there is, uh, you know, source material that they can take that will already have a, a fan base around it and put it into, thi- uh, into a movie adaptation. And the, uh, the huge impact of PG-13... You know, uh, movie could be because it, it'll it hits. You know, you can bring kids and adults may still like the edgier stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's it's got so much going on in this damn movie. Uh, it's 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 mind blowing. It's there's too much to talk. There's too many things to cover. You know, it, that that <coughs> that summer of 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 Batman Batmania uh, was insane. The lead up to it, and uh, it's also funny to point out that uh, prior to the movie coming out. They sold out of everything they had merchandised. Yeah. So yeah. so they sell out of everything they produced. It really was like it was a frenzy. Yeah. And then <laughs> when and then when the movie comes out and it is the success that it was initially set up to be, they had they couldn't even meet the demand. They were printing stuff up and they couldn't realize. They thought it was a joke. A lot of the stuff that they were finding out, like, "You sure this is the demand we need to meet?" Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I remember. It coming out all summer, I was trying to find myself a Batman t-shirt. Like, that was the thing. All my oh, friends yeah, had Batman yeah. t-shirts. So I had, like, some bootleg Batman t-shirts. Yeah, like, you know, you get a Joker shirt, you get a Batman shirt, and then it was different kinds. It shirts. Good, I, I mean... Anything. People were putting fucking Batman logos in their fucking hair. I remember the buzz. Cut. I know. Buzz didn't get into their hair. It was, it was amazing. And it all... And, like, here's the thing. You know, the thing about... Uh... Like, Marvel... Like Spider-Man, some of the Marvel characters, like they don't have that emblem, you know, that symbol. Like Superman's got that S on his chest. Yeah. So you look at that, and it's like instant. Well, that is that's another mind-blowing thing. You just think that all this was was the teaser poster and the original poster is just the emblem. Yeah, it's a nice shiny gold Batman emblem. But it's such like a it's like attention. It's like if it's it, like a work of art, you know, because it takes you a second to like kind of figure out what it is maybe yeah, or something it's like it is a brilliant piece of uh you like know illustration it's like a it is like in itself a brand that, yeah that symbol that's what i'm saying it's like bat like spider-man doesn't really have i mean that. he kind of has this the spider, has a spider but like his mat his eyes you know, and his mask are more like but you can't put Spider-Man. that i mean you can maybe nowadays put the spider logo that he has on his chest on a poster and people may disseminate it but i know back then it was just in 89 just like superman's 
if you put Superman's logo on a poster, you put the Bat logo on a poster. Uh, you know, m- you may look I mean, at the Punisher Batman logo. Punisher has the skull. He's one of the ones that has like something that's well, ex- it, like, ex- and that they didn't even use it for the movie. No, which is for which that is amazing. Um, it's extremely un- uh, identifiable, and today it's also really interesting to look at the Punisher logo uh, showing up in all army. If you look at like um, the 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 gentleman uh, Chris. Um, What's his face? Who they made the movie, the sniper Eastwood sniper yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, he wore a Punisher hat. All those special force and seals guys, they all wear Punisher skulls on. They have them on their uh, on their lapels, on their shirts, on their tanks, on the yeah, stocks yeah. of their weapons. And it's amazing. That's like a subculture to have that Punisher skull. You know, that you're badass. But for but the most part, Marvel didn't have something as identifiable. I still I mean, can't think. I, I mean, maybe if you take the Punisher skull, that could be maybe a, a good thing to put up it against. But I can't think of anything else really that's yeah, a good. I mean, and now they have you know, like the A from the Avengers I mean, even. Whatever. It's, but yeah, it's but that, that's contrived. I mean, even like. But the that's my point. Green Lantern, like even. You know, like DC. I mean, it's, and it's crazy to think of a world. That today, where we slag off and make fun of DC, DC can't get their shit together. But for 25 years, Marvel couldn't get their shit together. And DC yeah, yeah. was doing it, and they were doing it well. Marvel was only able to do it because of DC. Yeah, they, DC paved the way. I mean, Donner's you know, Spider-Man, could, uh, you, Superman yeah, came you out. You could say Batman, but it's really like Batman wouldn't have got made without the success of Donner's Superman. Yeah, and then th- that's when Batman got optioned back in 79. And it took t- 10 years to get Batman to a... And so it's an like, in a way, out. it's like, thank God it did. Yeah. You know, it, because it would have had they a, made it in like 80. It would have probably had that. They were talking about Batman going in space. Like it wouldn't have, this would, that would have been like before Dark Knight Returns, before the killing joke. Yeah. And it really was like, I mean, if, you know, we could basically, you know, Batman is invented in 1939. Yeah. Um, appears in uh, Detective Comics number 27. Um, he starts out as kind of a dark character because he's very heavily influenced by the pulp novels and very influenced by things like The Shadow and whatnot. Yeah. But then there's like this huge arc. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, we just recently, a couple of years ago, uh, celebrated the 75th yeah. birthday anniversary or whatever of Batman. But then like... You get... Uh, and when this movie came out, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary. So it was almost like gold. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, come celebrate it with us. <laughs> Spend your fucking money, you know? So my, my point is that, like, it, it Batman, so Batman goes through, like, all these incarnations. Because after the, the... The 50s. After, like, the book, The Seduction of the Innocents by Frederick Wortham, which attacks, like, comic books. In the 50s, Batman goes from being, you know, in the 30s and the 40s, being, like, a dark crime fighter to being like Gotham's like number one citizen. Well, he's like walking through the streets during the day. People are like slapping. He's like a boy scout. You know, he's like, I've heard someone call it like the benign boy scout. I mean, it's really interesting. And then you get like the 60s, the the pop movement. Then you get the pop movement. You get the, the, uh, the show, the 1966 Batman show. And then into the 70s, we got things like Super Friends yeah. and whatnot. And but, goes, but in the comic books, it yeah, starts he, he getting get, a little gets, bit more serious. dark because, back in the, because yeah, in the late of, 60s and the 70s. Because of, like, Denny O'Neill. And Neil and the way uh, Adams. Like, Neil Adams drawing him. And Denny O'Neill starts writing more, like, uh, socially conscious. Uh, so it starts to get more serious. But it doesn't get to the 80s where it really takes, like, a dark turn. He's the creature of the... He's yeah, the defender you, of the Frank night. Miller's uh, The Dark Knight Returns, then uh, culminating with Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, which really got it, got it going, and I think also helped greenlit this movie. So though you might have had a serious Batman circa, like, 79, 80, thanks to, like, the... Thanks to, like, Denny O'Neill and, like, that turn of... It would have been still the... You wouldn't have had... 
this Batman. Yeah, movie. this Batman's taking it back to its roots, to the, to the, the thirty nine roots. I mean, we talk about Bob Kane. It's it's a really interesting uh, thing here to, to get back into his past and, and to Batman's past and the history of comic books in general. I mean, uh, to talk about you know. We, we start off with the dime store novels. Everyone knows the dime store novels, which was like in the turn of the century where it was just basically that was like, you know, people's version of comic books or whatever. Before movies, this is what you, you know, it was fiction that people can read and digest and take anywhere they wanted. And then into the 20s, you get like comic strips in the, in the papers. And th- those were hugely successful into the 30s. And uh, you started having certain characters premiere in comic book or comic strip form at that time. And uh, at the same time, you, you were getting into pulps what you're saying, uh, yeah, Pulp yeah. Magazines, you have Dashiell Hammett, you have um, Raymond Chandler, a lot of people writing stuff. And uh, you have, at that time, the Pulps were kind of uh, giving you a grittier, they were, to, to go back, you know, we have Edgar Allan Poe, who everybody knows. And we always associate him with the, being a horror guy. Yeah. But he is credited, a lot of people don't know, as doing the first detective story. Yeah, the yeah. Murder, Murders like basically in the Rue Morgue. What we know of is like the, the, like the detective story. It's yeah. basically an invention of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, it Murders in the Rue Moore, he has a, a guy named C. August Duplin. And uh, that was the, probably the first detective. But then it was quickly taken over by like uh, English writers. And you have Agatha Christie, Arthur Conan Doyle. And it's kind of like taken and into the, the teens and the 20s. They're running with it. So then when you, the pulp novels come out in the late 20s and the early 30s when they're doing these things for like these magazines, short stories and all that. Uh, you have a guy like Dashiell Hammett who's really credited with taking that back and making uh, it more like uh, American again with it not being like... Um, Raymond Chandler, who's another uh, pulp writer who wrote in the 40s, he did a great uh, n- um, essay called the, uh, the Simple Art of Murder. And he talks about in that that um, what Dashiell Hammett ended up doing was uh, he gave murder back to the kind of people that would commit it for reasons, not just to provide a corpse like you'd see in the Agatha Christie things. Yeah, yeah. So you have that going on. And now, at the same time, you have um, the, the comic strips are happening, and you have a guy named uh, Max... Maxwell Charles Gaines, okay, who later will have a son, William Gaines, Bill Gaines, who would go on to do EC Comics, educational comics in the 50s. Max Gaines was this entrepreneur who in the, the, during the Prohibition in the 20s, he, would, he had a novelty necktie saying, we want beer. You know, that ran out in the Depression, and he needed to figure out to do more, to, to, to bring more money in. So he came up with this thing called the Famous Funnies, and it was just basically a magazine that reprinted the Sunday comics, uh, comic strips in, in a book. You know, like a trade paperback. And that was the like first that. fucking comic book there. <laughs> you know, he, all he's doing is just freaking, you know, yeah. doing that and just reprinting the best of the Sunday comic strips. So then you have a guy come along called Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. Uh, he formed in 1935 his own comic book publishing company called National Ally Publish- Publishing, which would later become National Periodical Publishings, which would we learn to be later be DC. And he, for the first time, published in 1935 something called New Fun Comics, which was the first title to have original comics in there. It wasn't reprintings of stuff. It was its own entity. It wasn't taking a collection of previously printed stuff. Yeah. And uh, this guy, Major uh, Nicholson, go look him up because he's a true Indiana Jones, whatever the stuff he did. And his business partner at the time was this guy named uh, Donfeld. Uh, And Donfeld was uh, one of the guys who debuted with DC Comics this crime fighting series called detective comics yeah. and it basically was just private eyes through one through 27 was just these like hard-boiled private eyes sure and then when you get to issue 27 in 1939 they come up with 
uh, you know, the Batman, the, yeah. the Bat Knight. Well, you know, that was a common thing. Like, you know, uh, like Spider-Man's first appearance is Amazing Fantasy number 15. So it wasn't like Spider-Man debuted with his own yeah. title. Yeah. He was part of, like, this series that were, like, every issue was kind of different. Um, and that, I guess that's what happens here with Batman, with Detective Comics. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, he comes out in, uh, um, in May of 1939, and... Uh, so you had you had different people at the time also contributing to, to Detective Comics. You had uh, Jerry Spiegel and uh, Joe Schuster, you know, who who would uh, go on to do Sp- uh, Spider Man, uh, Spider Man, well, Superman. Superman's first, you know, so yeah, Superman, Superman, and that was an action comics, which which was an offshoot of Detective Comics. So you have all this com- stuff coming out, and then you have Batman come out in in in, in nineteen thirty nine in, in Detective Comics twenty seven, and it, no one had ever seen that before. This and it, it's basically like low tech crime fighting, and it's funny. The first issue, it's just like it's. Bruce Wayne and, and uh, uh, also making his first appearance at the time was uh, Commissioner Gordon, yeah. and it's the two of them just chilling in Commissioner Gordon's house. And he's like, "Tell me about what's going on." And then he's like, yeah, "Sure, yeah. young entrepreneur and rich man <laughs> Bruce Wayne." And then they go to a crime, and you know, there's stuff going on. And then the Batman shows up, and he kind of solves the crime. And then you don't realize to the last panel of that issue that they 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 show you that that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and yeah. it's really cool to reveal. And uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert <laughs> if you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And Bob Kane, he did a lot of crazy things at the time. You know, he, he comes out with, with what we've talked about, you and I, of, of uh, you have Bob Finger, who was huge. Bill Finger. I'm sorry, Bo- Bill Finger. Bob Kane. Bill Finger was a writer. The thing about Bob Kane, and we, not, we can't spend too much time on this because we have to talk about the movie, but th- there's a lot of controversy with Bob Kane in that he created Batman. He, he takes a lot of credit, but there was really... By all accounts now, we can look back at it and say that the, he had a team of people. It was a lot like Edison in a way. In yeah. that, like Edison had hired all these inventors, and they invent they did the inventing, and Edison took credit because they were working for him. And it actually wasn't really a uncommon practice at the time. But so like in a way, like Kane had hired guys like Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson to and uh uh Shelley Moldoff, who's an artist. To work for him, and but then they never really got credit in the books. Bob Kane claims it's because it just didn't really happen that way. Yeah, it was, it was never. If you're Bob Kane, uh, you you know, yeah. But like realistically, like Bill Finger, if you read, if you read up on it and you really look into it, really you could give Bill Finger. Uh, well, he's a writer, co-writer. I mean, the, the two, yeah, I mean, the it two wasn't of them. Even like you know, Bob Bob Kane's like original sketch for. Batman was very similar to Superman. Yeah. He was like, you know, he just had, but except for he had like a little Robin mask, you know, but he had like a cape and whatever, and he didn't wear the cowl and all that stuff. And it was Bill Finger that looked at it. He was like, why don't you give him like a cowl with like to make him look like a bat? Like make him look frightening. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And then. Uh, Bob King went back and kind of redrew it and showed it to Bill Finger, and Bill Finger's like, "Yeah, that's yeah, b- that's the ticket." Bill had like right a lot there. of ideas in it how to like bring him in, like, with, and then I he wrote. The it. I mean, and and then he was one of the he was one of the you know he was one of the main writers. I mean, basically, like Kane would draw like the a lot of the covers, but then like Shelley Moldoff and uh, Jerry Robbins and stuff, they were like really ghost artists for him. And same with Bill Finger it was in a lot of ways like a ghost writer. I mean, and you know, and then they went and they it was them that like worked with him and invented like the villains and like like Jerry Robinson doesn't get really credit for the Joker, but there's another controversy. You know, he uh 
Bob Kane takes a lot of credit for takes all the credit for inventing the Joker, but Ray Robinson says, you know, that he he had a hand in it. You know, it's it's a you know, and then we go you go into the future with like Steve uh, with Ditko and and Stan Lee, um, Stan Lee taking a lot of credit. Ditko gets credit now, but basically how it how it became was that like somebody comes up with the idea and is like the writer, and then there's the artist that kind of creates the look, and now those two people get credit. Mm. But back then, that really wasn't the case. No, they no the the one person would get the credit. It's the same ongoing battle till they die with um, what's his face this the the Superman guy Schuster oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. and Spiegel. You know they, they 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 fought to the day they died to get the the byline of credit for that. Yeah, and it was, you know? there was a big thing. I mean, uh, Neil Adams has a big uh, had a Neil had a big part who became a very famous as we oh, as we mentioned seventies just a few minutes ago, uh, ago very important artist for Batman in the seventies. Yeah. he was at the forefront of getting them credit. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because at the time, uh, you know, the, the Bob Kane and Bill Finger were living up in the Bronx, and the reason why I brought up Edgar Allan Poe is because they would, there's a, there was a Edgar Allan Poe house up in the Bronx by Fordham, yeah. and they would sit in front of it, and they there's would think a, of... Yeah, there's the legend. Of there's them, like, there's com- an urban legend yeah, coming of Batman up with this. being invented, sitting in a bench in the park, right by the Edgar Allan Poe's Trying to think house. up stuff. And it's and it, it, the whole legend is then tandem. You know, it's not like, you know, Bob Kane came up with it and said, that, you know, so it's like the two of them in... in in cahoots, and it's weird. Then Bob Kane goes on to get the credit, and Bob Kane almost becomes the the Bruce Wayne s kind of character, yeah, the, yeah. the the playboy. And a lot of things at the time that contributed to to to, to um, Batman's creation. I mean, it's it's y- y- people you know always say about like say uh, plagiarism, but it's just like you take in parts of you. Before that, you had the Shadow. The Shadow premiered, you know, in. Uh, uh, July 31st, 1930 on radio. And he was kind of, you know, before him, there was a guy called um, the Man in Black from 1882 that came out in this Boys of New York, uh, American for Young Papers book. And it was this, it's a, a dime store novel. And it's the same thing. That's basically yeah. The Shadow. And The Shadow comes up as a radio show in 1930. And we all know The Shadow is... Like Lamont Cranston is some, like, rich playboy. Yeah, and he's kind of a, <laughs> he's kind of a psychic as well because yeah, he's able yeah. to get into people's minds. There's, like a, there's a supernatural element to it. But then this idea of... I mean, I guess it's a, it's a wonderful device and that, like, who's going to have the time and, like, the capital to be able to be a crime fighter? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's like you need somebody it's, it's who's usually a rich guy. Independently well. You know, and then you have, prior to him, you have, uh, uh, prior to Batman, you have Dick Tracy come out. Dick Tracy came out in the funny papers on uh, the, the 12th of October, 1931. Mm-hmm. And he kind of has the same kind of... Uh, Backstory as Batman, where you know at the time in the 30s, I mean, you know, they were turning like the gangsters into like folk heroes, you know, because the the, the police couldn't really handle what was going on with the gangster era blowing out of control with the end of prohibition. So they would see like these guys like John Dillinger, Mag- Machine Gun Kelly, and they were like you know robbing banks and you know yeah, giving yeah. their f- finger to to the to the man. So. Uh, until that kind of uh, was reversed, people were like looking, you know, kind of like uh, rooting for the bad guy. And, you know, when that started to turn, you have things like Dick Tracy come out. And Dick Tracy's character was a guy who was like hanging out with Tess Truehart, his girlfriend, and her father, who was like a business owner. Uh, There's a strong arm robbery. Uh, bat, uh, Dick Tracy's knocked out. Tess is kidnapped. And her father's accidentally shot and killed. So he wakes up. The cops are there. Dick Tracy. He's like, what happened? Uh, you know, your girlfriend's been kidnapped. Your, your future father-in-law's uh, dead. And he then, over the dead body, makes a, uh, like an oath. I'm going to fight crime and fuck those guys up for the rest <laughs> of my life. And then that's how Dick Tracy, then he, the next day he joins the police department, as you used to be able to do back, day, back then, as, as, a, as a plainclothes officer. 
And then he goes in it, and he had a rogues gallery. But the reason I'm comparing him to, to Batman is his rogues gallery prior to 1940 was basically like, you know, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Al Capone kind of types, where he'd go up against a gangster. And a lot of times, you know, he'd kill them. They, they wouldn't survive after that first appearance or that first kind of encounter. Yeah. Uh, even though now we think of Dick Tracy as having that rogues gallery of like, you know, two, uh, not two faced, like a uh, freaking flat top or all these different people, you yeah, know, yeah. shoulders, mumbles. Uh, the Joker was premiered in, in, in Batman number one in 1940 when Batman got his own line. And Dick Tracy's first rogue like that, the mole, like didn't a, premiere until yeah, 1941. Like an yeah, so yeah. It really, even though Dick Tracy's before Batman, it's, it's Batman that really has the first appearance of these like crazy kind of, uh, you know, uh, arch villains, these huge yeah, things. Yeah. And uh, you can get, you know, it, there's, there's well, elements every, of everywhere of, of how Batman came to be. Yeah, but, you know, we talked a little bit about, like, the evolution of Batman in comics. But since, since Batman, 1989 Batman is a movie, you know, he, he didn't really appear in that many things other than comic books. I mean, he, he would make appearances in the Adventures of Superman radio serials in the 1940s. Yeah, on the radio. As a voice, obviously. And then he had his own film serials in 43 and then 49. Yeah, One they, of them is with Robin. Yeah. And one of them's, I believe, not. But it was like a serial that would play before the movies. It was short, and then it would be to be continued. And so also, that was really the first, like, film. It, 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 people call Visual, them, like, motion picture take on, on Batman. People kind of call them a little racist nowadays. because, But it was the time because it was World War II, so you were fighting stuff, and that's a whole different conversation. But at the time, they had Alfred uh, kind of was invented. And when Alfred originally was invented he was conceived as like this guy alfred beagle and he was kind of like this fat bumbling guy who's an amateur detective and he's kind of an idiot and then once uh they do the serials they kind of cast a thin actor with a mustache kind of more refined a, a british kind of guy so then alfred his character kind of changed into the alfred pennyworth that we know now where he's kind of like more like yeah, the, the yeah. circa father yeah uh and batman back then it was interesting in the series he's just low tech he's a guy in a suit and it's very much kind of like what this batman is except i mean he's not he doesn't have a batmobile yet he has he's just driving in a sedan you know <laughs> yeah, from yeah, a to yeah. b but he's fighting gangsters i mean you know he's not fighting anybody out of the norm and then uh we have that one year from 1939 to 1940, Batman is basically alone. He's fighting guys himself. And then in 1940, when Batman ends up um, becoming, he gets his own series, that's when you have uh, Robin premiere. He, he, uh, he comes out. So you have like a year of Batman alone. And that's kind of like what they wanted to do with the Tim Burton film. They wanted to go back to that year of yeah. 1939. And when Batman was like the brooding, you know, guy fighting crime on like kind of a low tech level, going yeah. at it. I mean, he even used guns in the early. Well, the that's that's the comics. that's the crazy thing. Like the, the the early Batman, he would kill people with like lasso strangulations. He he. Uh, do like neck breaking kicks to the head. He'd punch guys that would send them off a roof. He had an automatic handgun. I mean, in, in one of the uh, one of the things he's got the bat plane. He's got two Browning machine guns on the bat plane. He he goes and, and shoots uh, a bad guy, Professor Hugo Strange. And then it, he says, "Well, as much as I hate to take a life, I'm afraid this time it was necessary." <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he's completely into just you know when he needs to just you know you know vengeance being that motivator to like kill people. But then. When you get Robin premiere, they, they wanted to kind of lighten it up. They realized, you know, we can't really have Batman. It was like, yeah, you know, go around killing kind people. Kind of two things. It was they wanted to lighten up. They wanted to try to capture the the younger reader by yeah. putting a younger character. And in. Then you have that kind and of. And it was like it was also functional. It was like it's it would be easier and more interesting to have things explained in dialogue 
in the comic book as opposed to everything being internal monologue because that's like how do you progress the story yeah (laughs) you know in that so it was like give him someone to talk to someone to explain things to and that way he in turn it's moving the plot forward and also explaining things to the audience so all that's happening in the comics with the serials uh, film serials in 43 and 49 and then nothing really happens outside of the comic books until well you until the dozier you series yeah you start getting in the what happens when robin premieres and the war goes on you start batman starts coming out of the shadows and you get Batman selling like war bonds and you're getting like him running around in a Jeep saying, you know, you got to do your part two with Robin. So he's kind of already drifting away from the, the man in the dark and the shadows to become that guy who's walking around outside. And like you said, then after the war, they were kind of figure out, you know, you can't really have Batman going back to fighting the average bank robber when he was just taking on fucking Nazis and yeah, like the, yeah. the axis of power. So they're trying to figure out what to do with him. So they start adding a little of the fantastic. And then what you, what you brought up in the 50s, there was this huge thing that happened with Frederick Wortham. And he wrote The Seduction of the Innocent. It was basically, he was a psychiatrist from New York that worked in a New York hospital. And after World War II in the 50s, there was a lot of juvenile delinquency, which, which, of, of which we just talked about the origin of the last cast. We, uh, two casts ago, the Warriors cast on the reason yeah. why that book got made in the 50s of like the gangs and the juvenile delinquents. So he started blaming comic books as one of the reasons why that, you know, Kids so, are yeah, he started off. pointing those like these kids write comic books and they did yeah, any so ipso facto. Yeah, <laughs> and he's and he's showing examples and you know it's it, to think about you know as much as I say love EC Comics I was saying that the 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 son Maxwell's son Bill who ended up doing EC and then Mad Magazine which is the only thing that survived out of EC. Uh, EC comics are pretty freaking brutal at the time. They're yeah, beautiful, yeah. but like, you know, for you to be like a 50s housewife or, or father and you look at what your son's reading and it's basically like Tales from the Crypt that we saw in the 90s, that TV show, like yeah, gruesome yeah. deaths and all that. You know, so he was citing a lot of that. Look what these kids are reading. Look what's going on. And then he's also saying Batman and Robin are gay. Look, yeah, they're yeah. sleeping in the same room together. And it's not that they're, you know, it's just because they need to save on like, yeah, you know, like how many panels? Then you have to draw a panel of Bruce Wayne like waking up, walking down the hall, going to yeah. Robin's Look room. what's going on, you know? Yeah, so like the, the bat signal's up. We need to get ready to go. Whereas like here, it's like, hey, we're you know, shit's hey. going on. Let's get out of bed. <laughs> Let's get out of our tandem bed, you know? So uh, Wortham makes this big stink, and there's big like, uh, you know, there's there's Senate hearings held, and they basically force. I mean, like artists were like kind of blacklisted. I wouldn't say it's like ma- the McCarthyism uh, of what happened in the film. But artists were back blacklisted. Some killed themselves. So they really brought together the the comics code came out to be uh, in you know the, the mid fifties. Yeah, basically, there. to my recollection, I mean you can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, like the comic industry said, okay, we we'll police be, ourselves. We could be government. We could be policed by the government, or we can say like we'll form a committee. We'll police ourselves. Yeah. And basically, that's what they did. Yeah, they ended up doing that in in, uh, in September '54 because that's all that happens in 1954. I mean, one of the great examples, uh, Wortham cites there's a, there's a famous EC Comics thing where this gangster is killing these other two gangsters, and he shows this real famous panel where it's like a a gravel road, and this hitman ties up two hoods to the back of his car, and he drags him down a gravel road, and one of the hitmen looks at his his friend and says, "There's nothing like uh, a gravel road to erase faces." <laughs> You know, so like he's showing us the, the and the people are like, yeah, you're right. This is why the kids are fucking going crazy. And so basically, what we're getting at is like then comic books take a very light turn. Yeah. So in, in reaction to that, we start losing the kind of the dark grittiness of it, and in turn, Batman becomes a little bit of you know. A well, little they're, bit like, they're like, what are we gonna do with him? Because at that point, he's like, he's like, the, like I've heard him being called the benign scout keeper. What's yeah, he? Yeah. He's he's walking around like you said in the daytime. He's high fiving people. He's not in the dark anymore. <laughs> you know. So now you have him doing like the fantastic, and this is when you get into like you're saying that Dozier years were or not. Dozier years uh, prior to that, uh, the the other gentleman who's um, 
the this the uh, I think uh, Jules I forget Schwartz maybe is is the uh, the editor's name. They they like what else can we do with them? So they start having them go to like other dimensions. There's uh, a guy they they introduce called Professor Carter Nichols, and he actually has Batman and Robin time travel. They're going. Oh, yeah. They're fighting aliens. They're going to other planets. So. It takes this level of like in the late fifties where Batman is doing everything except what he was kind of designed to do. Yeah, you which know, is fight crime from the street level. Yeah, gritty, solve mysteries. You know, and then you get you hit the sixties, and you're saying then there's Dozier who comes up in in the sixties, and then Batman becomes like a pop, a kind of a pop, uh, like a contemporary pop artist like icon. Well, it's yeah, cause, you know, cuz at the time they were trying to think of let's do it's it. It's on the cover of like Life magazine like Well, cuz he <laughs> they become he becomes like basically the, the the trademark of like pop at the time. And they yeah. wanted to they wanted to bring a a, a, a superhero to, to television. They couldn't get Superman or Dick Tracy for whatever reason. They, they were having some sort of uh contract disputes. So the next one was Batman. And Dozier was who was the executive producer. He took a bunch of Batman comics and took a plane from New York to LA and he read them all and he digested them. He's trying to think, think up a way to yeah. have Batman now be plausible and work. And he realized, he's like, wait a minute, uh, let's forget about the kids because either way, when we put a TV show on about Batman, kids are going to watch. How yeah, are we going to yeah. get the adults to watch? And his, his idea, which I think is pretty ingenious if you think about it, was just to make it super fucking campy, keep it very serious, but it's just, it's just really, 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 really uh, you know, square and hokey. Yeah. And that way he think adults will laugh at it and uh, then the adults will watch with the children and, and it worked, worked. <laughs> it totally worked I so mean, that shit was on twice a week uh, yeah so in on abc wednesday january the 12th 1966 uh batman premieres and he has a three-year run he's on like you said two episodes a week and then in the third season which kind of like they say the shittiest season he was on once a week and then he died and they, they got rid of it like it was like from mon sunday to monday no one batman left and no one yeah. knew about it but i mean the show is you know was credited with starting the pop area pop era and at the time you know you could go to san francisco and there was a uh there was a club called wayne manor where guests were greeted by batman at the front door the joker would be the maitre d that would seat you you had girls dressed as wonder woman getting you drinks you had girls dressed as robin and batgirl behind glass dancing some dude in detroit uh patented the bat cut uh, even uh, the National Safety Council were, were hailing Batman because he always told Robin to make sure you buckle up when he got into the seat. And it got so crazy because of the escapism of the 60s. People are watching, like, we, we talk about Bewitched, yeah. uh, fucking Lost in Space, freaking Ijuma Gilly Jean, Gilly, you know, the escapism was at such a height that uh, when the Gemini 8 astronauts got in trouble and the actual networks broke in, to Batman on ABC and, and Lost in Space on CBS that, like, let's go to NASA headquarters and see what's going on with the astronauts. People called in and complained, saying, I don't care. I want to watch my Batman. I'm watching my stories. <laughs> I'm, watching, I'm watching my Batman. I'm watching my Lost in Space. This is crazy. But at the same time, though, as that's happening, the writers of, of, of Batman, the, the DC Comics guys, were kind of horrified at what they were seeing. Yeah. They're like, this isn't really, this is not what we really intended. So around 64... Although, uh... There were, you know, like you said with the serials. I mean, I believe Batgirl. I'm not. I could be wrong. I mean, somebody could correct me here, but I think Batgirl was kind of an invention of 
yeah, the show. There's a lot of stuff. And then the show. became yeah. a character in the comic books. I mean, uh, yeah, and there was a lot of stuff you can you can credit with the show as well, which I, like you're saying, we can't really get into yeah. now. But but, but then, anyway, you know, move this, move this, move, let's move this baby forward. Yeah. So in '64, they started doing stuff serious. At the, I'm sorry, Schwartz, who I s- a credit to the '50s uh, publisher. He's the '60s. He took over, and like we, s- and he at the time had represented. Uh, big liter- literary giants like Ray Bradbury, Robert Block, H.B. Lovecraft, Al- uh, Alfred Besser, and he had already reinvented the Flash. You know, he's the guy that took the Flash from nothing, but he knew he couldn't really so much reinvent Batman, but he wanted to bring him back to the darker things. So he hires, like you say, he wanted to go back to Bill Kane and uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and he hired Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill, yeah, and yeah. that's where you get these serious. It goes serious again in the 70s. He starts to become more serious. And then, you know, uh, uh, outside of comic books, 68, 69, you have the Batman Superman Hour and the Adventures of Batman. Which are cartoons. And then... Uh, so, uh, and Olin Soul, who we love, he, he did the voices of that. <laughs> I love that guy. And then, and then it's not anything until 77, where you have the new Adventures of Batman. Um and then you start having him in like Scooby Doo movies. Like yeah, which you have a great you have a great uh, original art uh, of Scooby Doo. That was the f- I think the pilot to the to the Scooby Doo movies. The today's new, new Scooby Doo movies. Or yeah, Scooby Doo. I movies? think it's Scooby Doo movies. And, um, uh, he, he he shows up in so the pilot. So it starts. You know, he, he's kicking around. But then it's not till 1989 where Batman then makes. Like you said, they option the the they try to get the movie they option it for like seventy nine, but that doesn't come out to nineteen eighty nine. And they decide to take it much darker. Now that decade from seventy nine to eighty nine, you mentioned you had you had the uh, well they tried Dark Knight Returns. You had the Killing Joke. Things started. Batman becomes a much darker character. They tried to reboot him in seventy seven with like the that TV show. It was kind of like a uh, a roast the superheroes thing, and then that really fell flat. But they realized with the success of Superman, they can get a movie out of it. So they optioned it in 79. And then, like you said, didn't really do anything. At the time, though, you know, uh, O'Neill and Adams are trying to get him to be more like the best athlete in the world, and he's like a Sherlock Holmes. So he becomes like the investigative. He becomes much more of a detective. Yeah, you know, and he's got that cool kind of blue suit, you know what I mean? Raja Ghoul. Yeah, Raja Ghoul. All these people come out, and then they they get these really intriguing stories. They dip back into the rogues gallery of his original guys. They bring Black Clayface, Joker. They bring back all these guys, and they kind of make it a little more believable to a certain respect. And then the 80s hit, and you have the such... You know the the dark days of the '80s. You get like you said, uh, Frank Miller comes on board and does the Dark Knight, and that's kind of like a real futuristic look at the Dark Knight uh, aging. And then Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, which uh, if anybody hasn't read, I think that's really essential to, to read The Killing Joke. It's amazing, and I think that's one of I the reasons. I think they're doing it as a animated movie. That's going to be with I think with Hamill uh, as the voice, Mark and Hamill. then uh, that's interesting. And then uh, I wonder if they'll they'll uh, do what's his face. Uh, Brian uh, Boland, I think his name is, uh, who did the, uh, the the inking of it. I wonder if they'll have him like have it look like his yeah, yeah. his look. But that that story is so amazing. It's probably one of the best comic books written of all time, and that really. I mean, I think yeah, those are the comic books right there that were like. Oh, and then also the the in the late eighties. Dick Grace and the original Robin in the late seventies had gone to college, and they needed to. to, oh, to so yeah. So they, they brought the Jason Todd. Yeah. So they brought Jason Todd, and people didn't really like Jason Todd. He was kind of a dick to Batman. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was like you know being you know mouthy. He was a wise ass. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like, "What can we do with him?" And they were like, "We want to do some sort of audience participation." So they did this thing. We're like, "Okay, we'll try to kill off Robin." And that by that point, I think Denny O'Neill is like the editor. Yeah. Of, D- of DC, and they give people this this question. Like they get to the point where Joker's like beating him to death with like a crowbar, and they're like, crowbar. "Call this number." If you want him killed, call this number if you want to save. And everyone option to kill, to kill him. So in the next issue, Death in the Family, they kill Jason Todd off. 
you know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, fuck him. Yeah, you know? but then the people that didn't really know were like, how could you kill? Yeah, how, how do you kill freaking Robin? <laughs> it's like, no, it's not the same. And then there Robin. was this huge backlash, but people didn't realize that it wasn't Dick Grayson that got killed. It was this other, this other wise yeah, yeah, it was the, it was the, it was the freaking Jason Todd, the, you know, the little, the so little bitch. the point is, Start, shit starts to get pretty dark in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. And then, like, they use those comic books as kind of, like, the pitch for how they are how they want to do Batman. Yeah. Like, this is, like, look at these. This is a serious, like, these are serious stories, serious dark stories that are happening involving this character. This is the movie we want to make. You know, not, you, Superman, Donner Superman is amazing, but it is, like, as Superman was, like, this very, yeah, light, you know, like, kind of like, you know, down home, yeah. you know, and like, it's, and all it's American, a, and vanilla it's kind of superhero. So it was like... We want to do that, but just with Batman. Yeah, like, and but we want to do that, but, like, Batman will take it to, like, this, this dark level. So then 1989 rolls around, and they find, like, like how they chose Tim Burton... Well, he was a, like I know he had you know Peewee's was a, was a hit. Well, he's in Disney. He, he a lot of people don't know he started out as a Disney animator. And then Disney finally uh, or quickly saw that he had some potential, so they let him to do direct some short films. He did that great one, Frank, uh, Vincent, uh, which is an animated homage to Vincent Price, and and then he did that stop motion, and then he did Frank and Weenie, which is a short with uh, what's his face from. Um, Daryl, the, the child who's yeah, from yeah. Um, the Never Ending Story, and, and then the uh, what's his face from um, uh, uh, Dern from Home Alone and uh, Chud. He plays the father oh, in yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. I said Dern. Stern. He's in it. And then, so they realize, and then he gets, they're like, okay, we'll give you Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And that was a hit. And at the time, from 79, when they optioned, Warner optioned the rights for Batman, they were really trying to push it around and get it going. And at the, uh, you know, they, they did a couple drafts and they had a, play our what if game you know yeah, yeah. they had they wanted to have uh in the early 80s william holden playing james gordon uh david niven play alfred and peter o'toole play uh penguin as a uh as a gangster who had like a low temperature but what ended what ended up happening was holden died which we actually talked about in the towering inferno cast in 1981 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and david Nim- niven ended up dying in 83 so that kind of went out the door and then when ghostbusters hit they were like, well, why don't we have first Gremlins? Joe Dante do it? And like, I don't know. And then they're like, uh, uh, Ian Wright, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ivan Reitman. They were yeah. thinking him to direct. And his big idea was, let's have Bill Murray be Batman and Eddie Murphy be Robin. And they're like, well, wait a minute. That's, that's, <laughs> whoa, 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 that's whoa. you know, that the whole, the whole <laughs> point. We'll call you back. Because the whole point was like, we don't want to go back that route. And that's what everybody, it had been such imprinted that, that the 66 show had been in such a such a imprint on people's minds that people thought it was inherently going to be this bumbling yeah, yeah. you know goofy thing and like i said originally one of the first movies they wanted to pitch in 79 like moonraker they were like we'll put batman in space and like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> you know you so know, uh, warner sees uh, a potential in tim burton he does um uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They I sign him, but they don't. They don't greenlit Batman until uh, after Beetlejuice's success in '88. Yeah, yeah. So they for two years are like, like yeah. come up with some stuff, and then we'll see. We think you're what right. Your next movie, and like. but he they really needed uh, uh, someone to come on with an artistic vision, and I think Tim Burton was absolutely perfect at the yeah, time. Yeah, it's it's a weird. I mean, you can look at that like a what if game. I mean, it's hard to imagine that movie directed by anybody else. I mean, his vision, and then of course. Like the amazing talents of Anton First, his oh, production Jesus. designer. Yeah. Like it's hard to imagine that that movie being a success I, without that, with throughout that, like without looking through Batman through that lens I, of, I, of them, those two guys. I will go on record as two things, declarative statements. One, 
I think the, the 89 Batman, I think, is a masterpiece. And I think, to me, it's a perfect movie. But uh, the only problems you could find with it are because it's too perfect. It's too much like a comic book story. Like, they really, they go balls out trying to, to, to make it, like, you know. And that's what you can kind of find, like, your, your problems with it. And then second, I don't think nowadays Tim Burton today could make that movie like he did, you know. Tim Burton of today couldn't do what he did back then because it's it's as it is very much a Tim Burton movie it is very much a Batman st- and it's very surprising to me like today it's like he's he's been let out of the bag with with um you know Edward Scissorhands and all the stuff he's done in the 90s and now he's gotten to the point where it's almost like with all our directors we loved at one time that yeah, have yeah. kind of waned he's kind of exploring his fantasies really to like you know the paint's almost dry he has nothing left in the bucket yeah yeah well you I know? mean I should say uh you know, just so people know, like, where I, I come from, where I'm coming from. Like, I myself, and I, I you know, I'm not, certainly I would, I, I'm not, you know, this isn't, uh, I wouldn't, I'm not dissing him. Or And if you're a Tim Burton fan, that's fine. I'm not. But I personally am not a big fan of yeah, Tim Burton. Yeah. Like, I've always said to me, like, I think he's a wonderful artist, uh, beautiful vision, and a way to get that vision across is great. But I've always felt that like he's not a wonderful storyteller. Yeah, and I've always felt like his his films are a little bit of style over substance, and that was even for a lot of critics. Um, that was a, a lot of criticism for even Batman. Yeah, when it, when it came out, a lot of people said that. Um, you know, we had been talking about doing this movie for a long time, and there was this concern because um, I in since. Um, since our youth, I don't ha- hold this movie in as high regard as you do. Yeah. Um, and I, I do f- like I, I, I don't consider this a perfect movie. But I will say, watching it this time around, putting on, trying to put on the, you know, I don't know if we talked about it in in previous casts, but like I, when I watch these movies, I try to put on the experience it new again yeah. you know i tried not to look at it too much with a critical eye i try to forget like i've seen it before and i also probably haven't seen it it's in its entirety for a really long time so i will say watching it this time uh trying to experience it again for the first time i did really enjoy it um it surprisingly held up a lot better on this viewing than I had felt that it was holding up in previous viewings. Um, I do think it's flawed, but uh, it is a beautiful movie to look at. Mm. There's no doubt about that. And I feel like it's a little long. Yeah. It could be tighter, but I think that's just a, a, a thing of the time as versus the, what we're used to now. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, think it's, it's, a, a, it's a beautiful vision. I would agree with you that Burton could have made this movie now. Uh, and But it would be interesting to think, like, you know, I read something that, like, Spielberg had a lot of interest in it. And yeah. it would have, like, that would have been a really interesting movie. It certainly wouldn't have been this movie. I don't think it would have been nearly as dark as well. Um, 
I, I mean, don't think it could have been. How long, you know? You know, Spielberg. Oh, he does. He gets he, dark. He Spielberg gets dark. Yeah. Like, would he have done it this dark? I don't. I have no idea. I mean, it was a perfect product of its time. Like it was really a culmination of the era but as they well really as put a lot. Of, it was it was gutsy for them to give Tim Burton this movie. You know, especially him being. Uh, he only did two two films, two two shorts, and then he did two th- uh, feature length films, and they give it to him. But I guess he really went in there and he had like you know he's an artist and he, you know he got Anton first, who's the production designer, to, to help him and. I mean, I mean, it is, it's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous piece of visual art. And then Danny Elfman's score. Yeah. Listening to, like, that opening, the movie opens with that score, and then you're going through, like, this maze, and you don't know really what it is. I mean, and then when it, you realize that it's, like, it's the bat emblem. I mean, just that. Let's see, that's like, that, that reminds, that harkens me back to like opening night. I went to opening night there. I was with my best friend, Martin McHugh, my dad. We were there. You know, a movie's about to start. We got to run to the bathroom. I remember running to the bathroom. The place was packed. I mean, it was an event. Yeah, yeah. You know, and totally. uh, I remember there was a girl that I liked who was, I was in fourth grade at the time. She was in sixth grade. She was like uh, one of the safety patrols. She was there and I ran to her. I was like, oh my God, Lisa's here. You know, <laughs> and then we sit down. They gave out these pamphlets that they gave us, which I wish I still had, which were like, uh, you open it up, and on one side it had like Bob Kane, and you can get the, you know, it was like basically Warner Brothers hawking shit. Yeah, yeah. So one side it was like you can get like a Batman jacket, you know, and then you have Bob Kane holding some stuff, and you had like the the uh, the toys that were available, the Batcave, the Batmobile, and the three, you know, Batman, Joker, Bob the Goon. And then you turn it over, it was like, what's coming else that summer? And I remember young Einstein was on there, and that <laughs> movie never went anywhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. But they gave that pamphlet out. And then when the movie started, I mean, this is probably for me the perfect this was the, the the best movie maybe aside from Jurassic Park or Terminator 2 this is the best movie experience I've ever had in a theater opening night everybody was respectful in the theater that thing starts like you're saying you know we're chewing on popcorn we're like what the hell is this you don't really know it looks like a maze and then by the end of it by the credits and then that Batman score his Batman suite which opens the movie and like Batman's like main theme as a character for, through the movie that thing rep- represents like menace it could be triumph it could be brooding and dark I mean it's there's so many of, feelings it's a musical work of genius and it's, it's really mind boggling just like Tim Burton who probably was the one who, who really pushed for him uh, Danny Elfman hadn't really done a lot then. Yeah. He'd done both uh, Tim Burton's prior films, and then he had like a pop band that showed up, like yeah. Oingo you know, Boingo. Back to School, Oingo Boingo, and Back to School and some stuff like they that. They did so the Weird Science song, Weird Science. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's just—is it real? <laughs> but it's so weird to think that, like, you know, they hire him and he's completely perplexed. He doesn't know what they're gonna do and what they're gonna do. I mean, it is, and he's not a classically trained musician. <sighs> And, and um, he comes up with this work of art, and not only the Batman theme in there, but even like you get to the Joker, the Joker waltz. I mean, it's perfect. He does yeah. a waltz, it's a, you know. It is, you know, watching the movie this time and really kind of soaking in that score. I, I you know, and and his I, score was so good that it was the first time they'd gotten. They wanted Michael Jackson and Prince to do to do a soundtrack. Uh, I don't think they ever got really Michael Jackson. Prince ended up doing some sort of weird conceptual album, which for me is one of the the things that kind of it dates, it states, it dates yeah. the movie like you know heavily, yeah that music in the background uh so that's one hard thing with it but this was the first movie along with prince's soundtrack the the big wigs thought that danny elfman's soundtrack was so good this is the first movie where you issued two soundtracks well, i remember you know it was like a demand for it because i remember like on entertainment tonight it was like you know like yeah you know the prince music but who's the guy that wrote the 
you know, the the background music for this movie, and it was like Danny Elfman from Boingo Boingo. <laughs> and, it like, and he's like, <laughs> And it was like they did. They released two score, two soundtracks, and Prince's soundtrack, and then the score. And then this was the score that really, because they did that, this was the score that made Danny Elfman like a name in yeah. film scoring. I had the extreme like pleasure and benefit of being able to see a couple of months ago, maybe not even a couple, maybe in last month, there is this... It, it, I would say touring, but they've only done a couple of locations. They started in London, and then they did it here. I don't know where else they've done it. But a full orchestra performing Danny Elfman's music that he did for Tim Burton. Wow. And then if there's two... There's an intermission, so there's two sections, basically. And... Most of the second section is Danny Elfman comes out and sings all the songs from A Nightmare Before Christmas. He's almost like a Sinatra, like all right. Well, I mean, I think he, I think he sings them in the movies. So, yeah, yeah. And he really brings it. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that movie. Or that, I know that, I know that movie has like a huge following. It's just it has never been a movie that was, you know, one of my favorites or whatever. I don't dislike it or, or anything. But it was amazing to see him come out and really because he's a showman. I mean, he was a, he was a rock star. Yeah, <laughs> you know, before this. But the, the thing about the music, sitting there seeing it played live by an orchestra um, kind of movie by movie it was one two things were it was like man this guy is amazing as a composer and two being a guy that's not a huge Tim Burton fan it was like man Tim Burton's made a lot of shitty movies in my personal as as I'm listening to this but the music is amazing but I will say when because they play you know Pee Wee and like something comes on the screen that says Pee Wee Herman, and then they show like scenes from the movie, like clips from the movie, kind of edited together with conceptual art by to Tim go Burton, along with the, you know, like as a visual aid to the move to the music. No, except for maybe Edward Scissorhands, like the crowd lost its shit when the Batman theme when they started playing that, and it came up it was like Batman and Batman Returns, kind of like together. Yeah, and you hear like. Which they ended up using for uh, like the animated series. I mean, and it was you know? like it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing to hear an, uh, like an orchestra yeah. play. It I live. mean, and then we have to and there was like a full choir. Jeez. <laughs> and so like as did a, they do um, like Beetlejuice as well because it's another one of like, yeah a score. they did yeah. they did all of the ones that he did like oh, all okay. the main pieces yeah. and they were like you know like Mars Attacks little they, they did and with the with a theremin the guy playing oh, theremin that's freaking awesome man a theremin and. Um, it was like a truly amazing show uh, for a guy that doesn't even, you know, I'm a fan of the music more than I am of, of a lot of those movies. Um, and Shirley Walker, you know, helped him through all that. I mean, yeah, that well, you know, that's the thing. Shirley Walker came and she, she was the conductor for Batman, uh, for the orchestra when they recorded Batman. There's a con- there's controversy involving that, too, where um, I think people within the industry basically say that she ghost wrote a lot of it yeah and and it's not uncommon for um because of time restraints and stuff like that with deadlines when you're making a movie that somebody would come in and kind of ghost write connective tissue from theme to theme stuff like that i don't know if it's true it's kind of alleged she did go on and do a lot of the music if not you know other than the theme the music for the batman the animated series that, yeah. in a very tim burton style or danny style. elfman as well yeah. i mean yeah that's what i mean danny elfman style um so i don't know you know there is talk that she actually wrote a lot of the music in batman but i don't know that's alleged yeah, and who knows? I and mean, she unfortunately has passed away, but she 
she yeah. was a she was an amazing she then worked for John she worked for John Carpenter <laughs> on like Escape from LA score and and uh Memoirs for Visible Man. She did the score yeah, for it's that. A, it's a near and um, dear movie to both our hearts. Um so yeah, uh, rest yeah, in peace, uh, Shirley. Walker. And you can't really, yeah, uh, and you can't really just give uh, just how, how important. I mean, Elfman really. I mean, everything was like a perfect storm for this movie coming in. You know, you yeah. get, yeah, you get the, the, the they they hire a, a screenwriter, Sam Ham, to, to write the screenplay. He writes the first draft, and his basic idea was, which was brilliant, is just take it back to thirty nine, take it back to like the the the, the Bill Finger, Bob Kane, yeah, yeah. the original conception. And that's of why Batman. he makes Vicky Vale the. Like the the the, 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 the romantic yeah because it was going to be another girl because she appears silver Saint Cloud was going to be the original girl they had and and then they even were thinking of having Robin in it for a little while yeah and he was actually in the even up until they never ended shooting but there was even there's even a storyboard sequence that kind of introduces Robin yeah thank uh, gosh it didn't you know. <laughs> but uh, you know Vicky Vale appears in Batman four number forty nine in nineteen forty nine or 48 or something like that um so i mean it's not the 30s but it's still before yeah the, the, it goes the bastardization after yeah. wortham to go completely sci-fi and so he kind of and then she becomes she she's actually like a recurring character throughout uh batman from then on but she's a reporter always trying to she's interested in batman but she knows bruce wayne it's the lowest lane she effect, kind almost. of suspects that he's batman but um but because of that early connection with Vicky Vale, and that was like, I, I think for Sam Hamm, he, he even comments like she was like the the romantic foil that I remember. So that's why I wrote her and as I, the romantic. And foil it's interesting. Them. I think it, if my memory serves me, there's a story for um, from the forty serials when whoever the girl is that's like um, you know that becomes a love interest. You know, Batman picks her up and he's driving around in the sedan, and and she's even like, why why are you driving around in Bruce Wayne's car? <laughs> And he's like, well, Bruce Lane let me borrow it. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, so it's like very much like <laughs> the suspension of disbelief. It's like, okay, fine. You know, yeah, all right. That makes sense. Um, and, you know, S- Sam Hamm, he does a lot of cool stuff. And, and they set the movie, and it really struck me when we watched it. It's just like they wanted to try to make it timeless, which ended up the, the theme, which I ended up, I love that they did with the Batman the Animated Series, where they didn't want to make it too futuristic and too in yeah. the past. So they have a lot of elements going around in it. And it really looks like, to me, it's like a freaking... 1939 Warner's Warner Brothers like gangster picture. I mean, yeah, I can yeah. I can look at I, I mean, can the, think of this. Yeah, I mean the cars are. I mean the cars are, but they're also not 1989. No, it's they're they're very, like early 80s. It's like what they're doing with Gotham, the the TV show today. That yeah. you know they're they're making it very like, it like just exists outside of time. Yeah, it's a it's a great. it's a different reality, and uh, we can get into that in a minute. But it's just to me, it's just think about like you know Warner Brothers was the you know you think Universal was the big uh, for ga- uh, for horror Warner at the time MGM's musicals. Warner was like gangster pictures in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. And I could per- I could see this like in 39, them coming out with like a Warner Brothers movie version of this where it's like freaking, you know, like Gary Cooper as Batman, James <laughs> Cagney as the Joker, yeah, yeah. Barton McLean as freaking, um, uh, as Commissioner Gordon, and even like Sidney Greenstreet as uh, Jack Palance's Collar Grissom, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And having Cagney turn into the Joker and having it just so be a straight gangster movie. So basically the thing is that not only is this kind of a throwback to Batman's origins, but in a lot of ways, it's a li- kind of a throwback to Warner Brothers. To a certain origins, extent. I mean, yeah. maybe, I mean, you have to agree. It's just There's yeah, a lot totally. of elements where, I mean, especially with Gotham, and we can get into Anton First's vision of Gotham, and I love the idea. First, he's English, so it's like him... They, all, they always thought, like, even in the, uh, the origins of uh, Batman, 
they don't really establish Gotham really t- t- to begin with. In, in Detective Comics 31 in, in September 39, they identify his city being New York. And it's not until uh, Batman number four in 1941 that they finally say, you know, uh, it's Gotham City. So they were, they were always thought of it being like um, either New York City south of 14th Street where you have like Chinatown, Soho, yeah. the different kind of like and niche communities. Ethnic. You know, yeah. And then uh, when first Anton first, the production designer, designed this Gotham City, uh, it's kind of like an alternate reality of New York City. And the thing I love about what the idea they did was in, in cities, and especially in New York City, there's things called planning commissions. And they really adopted them, I think, in the turn of the century to the 20s when people were just building these skyscrapers. And it's a, it's a good example where you take Washington, D.C., and like in like the, either the teens or the 20s, uh, Washington, D.C., the planning commission outlawed uh, skyscrapers. So that's why you don't have any buildings, I think, above, like, say, 20 stories in D.C. because they wanted to keep it, like, you know, yeah. a certain aesthetic and a look. Where in New York City, they, uh, since we have the bedrock, they can build whatever the hell they want. They don't have to worry about them collapsing because we have the bedrock to support them. They, the, the, what the planning commissions would come in to do, and they would make sure that, okay, you're going to build, be building these skyscrapers all around People were getting worried, like, well, how the hell are we going to be able to see, you know, the sunlight? So what the planning commissions would do is make sure that your building was made to a certain specification that it's almost like a, uh, a layer cake effect yeah. where, you know, the base is big. But as you get higher, it kind of like almost cones so that you can sun can <coughs> still get down into the city streets. And there's you don't have to worry about being totally blacked out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Anton First's idea is what happens if there wasn't a planning commission in Gotham? And that's why you have like this, this mix of all these different um, you know, architects or these designs of Art Deco versus like Gothic, and they're just really built on top of each other. So Gotham is just this really disgusting, decrepit place of, of, an, of a thing that we're just, you know, art design and architecture influences are built upon older yeah. ones, and it's just this, you know, it's just everything's going everywhere and no one ever thought about the aesthetics of how it looked. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so cool, so Anton like First. it's a city run amok kind yeah. of architectural. Yeah, thing. I mean, they, they took, the, you know, it's all really matte painting and it's really another uh, testament, I guess, to everybody is that there's, I can't, there's no CGI in this movie and I can't no, really see no. any. There's, there's matte painting there's and then very there's... There's very little, there's like animation. Yeah. Like, like but you see... At the very beginning and I was beginning. wondering if that was a, like a little uh, not uh, f- uh, Fleischer. It does look kind of Fleischer. It's very, you know, it? the Superman uh, 40s uh, Fleischer cartoons. About the, like at the very beginning, the first scene, um, when we kind of see Batman for the very first time, it's actually a kind of a bird's eye view looking down and he's on like... It looks like a, like a uh, almost looks like a freaking, what do you call it, like a balcony. Yeah, a balcony or something of some skyscraper. And it's just, we see him so tiny. Yeah, someone's frame. screaming, there's a mugging, it, and it's, it's, that's really interesting that it's, it's the setup of it, like him. Well, that's what I was going to talk about, but before, <laughs> yeah, so before we're, we're I get there, we see him and then he's like looking over the ledge or whatever. He hears he the turn, woman screaming. He, he turns around, around and you see like the, the cape kind of flutter behind him. And that's like a little animation that's kind of, you're right, it's very Fleischerous. But what you're talking about with this opening scene, and I kind of I see a missed opportunity with this opening scene because I feel like you could have played this a certain way and it might have been uh, more, might have had more of an impact. But I also recognize that like now we take it for granted because of this movie, everybody knows Batman's origin. And maybe that maybe it would no have, yeah see that's maybe it wouldn't have worked in 1980. But what I'm but what I was gonna say is like how amazing would it have been? But pe- it might not have played because people might not have known. If we don't 
know who that family is. Mm. And so people that are in the know are maybe like this. Maybe the, these are the Waynes. Well, maybe like that, we don't know that. Well, maybe and then the, there's the robbery. Well, maybe it could have played like that at the time because that's another thing but, that but I. But he's like Jimmy. Put away your mouth. Oh, you know? oh so, so if you if you if you didn't if you didn't say their like names, it, yeah. If you really were like they were leaving the theater, you don't play them so much as uh, tourists. Yeah, that they're kind of out of their element. Uh, and and we just experience this the robbery and. But before, like, any shots are fired or whatever, then Batman comes in and it's like, oh, this isn't the, the, Bruce the Wayne, Wayne tragedy. You, know? you could have had, like, this moment of, now, like, people being like, this, are we seeing it from its very inception? Is that the opening scene? It's like his parents' time, which kind of happens in Gotham. Yeah, but see, I don't think, when certainly I going into it, I'm going to venture to say a lot of audiences didn't know enough. And that's why I love why I say this movie's so good is because they use as a subplot they kind of use the flashback thing and even sam ham says uh he's quoted the, the screenwriter says that to, to go through and it's almost i don't know if he's making a knock at the batman begins movie but he's like to, he's like it's idiotic just to go through it in real time just use flashbacks and i love how in this movie the burton they that's like a subplot of you discovering the audience with vicky vale like yeah, who yeah. is this 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 really mysterious bruce wayne and I don't think a lot of audiences knew the backstory, so when you get to the realization That's what that I'm saying is it would have been really cool, but, yeah. but you have to put it into perspective, which I am acknowledging, that people might not have been from as familiar... We're, we're likely not as familiar with it as they are today. Yeah, and... Due uh, to the success of this movie. And it, I think that's why it works so awesome that when you get to that scene with, with you know the flashback of you find out in this family. So you have... Uh, uh, Michael Keaton gets cast, and there's a huge controversy because at the time he's really only like a comedic actor. He's yeah, only people, doing. I mean, he had done clean and sober. Yeah. I mean, he had done. Well, that's like one a of the reasons why he'd gotten this um, this uh, this role. I, it, you know, but there was there was like fifty thousand letters get written. To people Warner. were writing. Comic book fans were writing in that it was just like, and you you kind of, I guess you could see because they're worried. Oh, you're you're making it. You're a making fucking, Mr. Mom. Uh, you're like, making Adam. You're making the Adam West '66 series again with Mr. Mom or uh, yeah, yeah, you know Don, Johnny Dangerous. We don't want. We yeah, want a straight. Yeah. So know, he and he just come off working Beetlejuice with Tim Burton, so of course it's like it's going to be funny. We, you know, it is a br- it is kind of a, a it's a brilliant casting move, though. Um, one, I, I like I like Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael like, Keaton's amazing. But Michael Keaton has like this. He has like this off kilter craziness in his eyes. Well, he. He's got a very distinctive eyes, and for most of Batman, that's all you see of him. Well, he, you know, his, his eyes through that cowl. Yeah. So it was like kind of a great way. It was a great. He's got these big blue eyes, and there's just something stirring underneath his eyes all the time. And so to see that that's the only thing you're going to really see of Batman most of the time, it was like a brilliant. Well, like a lot of casting you know, people know by now. Like a lot of comedic actors make great serious actors. Look at Robin Williams did yeah. that beautifully. Doesn't, you know, doesn't work the other way around most a lot of the time. Anyway. Yeah, and um, you know, Keaton worked great in it. And for me, uh, watching this last one, I don't know why, but. He seemed like he was really, really like, uh, like channeling like Steve McQueen in the Thomas Crown Affair. Like just his his expressions, like he, the, the the stuff he does with his mouth. There's like scenes where he's like uh, when he's first uh, grabbing the punks up there, and he and he puts like he does a thing with his mouth, like eh, and he throws them, and then you know how it, just his eyes, how he's doing stuff. And I completely think you're right. Like his eyes, or he does a lot of eye acting, which I think is amazing. And then just you know, it, there's such a well, depth the there. Thing. I mean, if we were to play. 
if we were to play the what if game, this is weird. This what if game. So what if game <laughs> again? So uh, for the what if game for for our new listeners, because we've been gaining listeners quickly, that we play this sometimes what if game where we uh, often, most of the time, but it's also behind this the camera. But we take a we take a look at. Uh, most of the time, we take a look at casting choices that were like people that were in the run. If we had made the movie a different and way, we th- and we think about like what the movie would have been like. Now we've already talked about early uh, things of you know, uh, like we said, uh, Will- Willem Holden as Gordon and uh, David Niven as Alfred, and then the directors. We we were th- imagine uh, uh, Ivan Reitman doing this yeah, or Joe yeah. Dante with them wanting Bill Murray as Batman. Come yeah, on, yeah. or. Eddie Murphy is Robin. So now when so as Tim Burton's aboard, they, 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 they go start looking a at, I mean, and you can find lists that are like a mile long, but the, some of the names for Batman we're talking are Alec Baldwin. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, Tim, Tom Hanks. Kevin Costner. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan I read on a list. Uh, Ch- uh, Tom Selleck and Charlie Sheen. Dennis Quaid, Harrison yeah, that's Ford. That's what I'm saying. There's, a, there's like the list is endless. So we, we look. I can see Mel Gibson, get, you know, a circle of the era, putting aside, you know, some some of the Vince controversy. He's also got like a little bit of that craziness in the eyes. Yeah. So that might have been interesting. Yeah. Um, Tom Hanks, not sure. Not I at mean, that time. I mean, Alec Baldwin goes on to play The Shadow. Yeah, which is uh, yeah. Pierce Brosnan goes on to play Bond. Not really Martin Sheen at the time. I don't think because he the next year in 1990 he did the Rookie with uh, Clint Eastwood. So, ah, and I don't know. If <laughs> and he's coming off of what like. Major League, and, and, and maybe is uh, Young Guns around that time too. Maybe Young Guns yeah, two like has a hit. Yeah, but he's not. He he's not in Young Guns two. He's only in the first one. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. He gets killed. Uh, Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> oh geez. And then Tom Selleck, and then would have Tom Selleck kept his stash? Yeah. Well, Tom Selleck was also kind of in the front running for Harrison Ford's. Well, he he Indiana got that Jones. part. I think he got Indiana Jones, but he just had the contractual obligation of, of Magnum, uh, Magnum PI. Uh, Harrison Ford maybe could have did it, but then you're still teetering into Indiana Jones about, territory. Yeah, they talk about Spielberg. You know, I don't. This is who knows what the truth is, but talk about Spielberg was maybe thinking Dennis Quaid as Batman and Harrison Ford as the Joker. That would have been weird. I don't know, but I don't know how. See, we'll get into the Joker, but and then you, you you've heard about the uh, they were looking to cast an unknown, so they they, they looked at Willem Dafoe. And he declined. Oh, as the Joker? No. As oh, ba- as people the thought Joker. No, as Batman. As Batman. And yeah. then Ray Liotta as Batman. And ba- Ray Liotta declined. And to this day, Ray Liotta still, uh, you yeah. know, that's his, that's his <laughs> thing. <laughs> Bat- Joker. <laughs> no, Karen. Karen. It would have been Karen Vale. Yeah, Ka- Karen Vale. We need you, Karen, <laughs> the balloons. We need all those balloons, <laughs> Karen. Oh, you are a funny guy. Um <laughs> So Joker, you're a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> really, well, you, you, there's stuff you don't know about me, okay? <laughs> and then we get into the Joker. Well, w- then Vicky Vale, and, Vicky and this Vail. is one of the one of the saddest stories I think in in in, in cinema history for the only reason that it's just uh, they cast Sean Young. Sean Young is cast in the part, and, and uh, there is a scene in the original script that doesn't get shot where uh, during the Vicky Vale Bruce Wayne date. Oh, afterward. Earlier. In the, I think it's earlier in the evening. They go, and that's part of the story. The Alfred's saying that. Alfred's talking about Covered in mud and nursing a, a spray day. You know, about teaching. Writing lessons. Writing lessons. So there's a, there's a writing scene where they ride, apparently, uh, they ride around on horses around Wayne Manor. And that is the reason why that uh, Sean Young was on a horse that day? She was training that would lay in that. Infinity? Oh, my gosh. She was learning how to ride a horse for that. And, and she falls off the horse and, like, breaks like a leg. It's her leg or her arm or yeah, something. Yeah, it's, it's mixed and, reports. And like a week before. They were already in production. Yeah. So she ends up, she's learning how to ride for that scene. 
falls off the horse, gets injured, can't play Vicky back. And I, I didn't know it was for that because uh, when you watch interviews with her and she's like, you know, <laughs> so sad. She's like, I look at my career yeah, yeah. As, as, as riding a horse. If I didn't push myself that hard that day, I would have got Batman. It would let me on to bigger, better things. And I would have had a career that was successful. Unlike what happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame because... You she know, gets bitter because you remember what happened with Bat- yeah, Batman Returns. To, then she wanted to play Catwoman. And she was sneaking on set. She was doing uh, appearances on shows, well, she, dresses, you know, Catwoman. She had, she had a substance abuse problem, which, you know... Uh, and I'm sure this didn't really do good for her psyche to know that she was cast in a movie and then a yeah. week before she gets, you know, because of an you injury. No, and she's in great movies. I mean, look, she's in Blade Runner. Yeah. So, I mean, she was. But a lot like, of people knock her in Blade Runner saying that she wasn't really a good actress. And, oh, you know, I thought Ridley that. Scott had to really help her. I know. She's yeah, a yeah. robot. Oh, I think, <laughs> I think she does a great job, but people really knock her for certain things. And, you I, know, li- I, th- I think she's fine in that movie. Yeah. I, li- I like Sean Young. I like Sean Young. But it's just so sad that this happens to her and then they're trying to figure out to fill the shoes. They suggest Michelle Pfeiffer. Tim Burton does, and 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 uh, Michael Keaton's like, wait a minute, you know, we're gro- there were girlfriend and boyfriend at the time. He's like, that'll gonna, be too that's weird. Be weird. <laughs> yeah, but then they end up doing it anyway, like you know, a yeah, couple years later. So they find Kim Basinger, and they actually, what are they? They they cast her on a Friday. She shows up in London so on a Monday. Yeah, they say they had to fax her. I mean, this was before email, so they're they're faxing her page by page the entire script all night. Yeah, and they said this is a fax machine in the eighties. Yeah, you know, so, you so it was how long like that it took. was long, arduous process. So they fax her this. The script, she gets on a plane and she's like, you know, she comes to London to, to shoot the movie. And also it was like, you know, who knows? I think she's great in it. I think she, I mean, she's she's beautiful as like a 10-year-old Jay Blake, you know, oh, like, she's, who didn't have a crush on her. She's still to this movie. day, she's one of the women who I think she still holds up like her and Michelle Pfeiffer because it looks like they've had minimal work done. And she yeah. just, she just ages so gracefully. Uh, Kim Basinger looks so uh, amazing. Uh, but at the time, I was like, I was in love with. Oh, her. she was. Cause she's, <laughs> she's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, she's um, she's beautiful. But it was it was also they talk about it was a lot of like it wasn't like exactly who do we want. It was like who do we want that can get on a plane right now? Yeah, and be ready to shoot like, and tomorrow be, and be good enough to you know they, you know no. like who who fits that criteria? Who's good enough that we want and who can come because. You know, actors, actors, and actresses—they're already they're contractually booked Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they like could be booked in years advance. Years in advance. For, yeah. And before we get off the what, what if game, um, when we're talking about the seventy-nine uh, uh, carna- uh, 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 incarnation of the Batman movie, they were th- looking for Guy Hamilton, the, the Bond director, to, to direct. That could have been so interesting. That could have been a, a Guy Hamilton directed, starring an unknown Batman. We'll say Stephen Queen, and then you have. Uh, <laughs> Freaking David Niven and uh, William Holden in the 80, 1980 Batman, and then they go to space. And then like we get Ranker. to the, the casting of the Joker. Uh, now, a lot of people went out for this part as too. I mean, I had heard at the time they had cast Robin Williams, and then they, they, they didn't anymore, but I heard he was just vying for the part, and they had tons of people that yeah, they were like looking he for. He wanted to do it. Tim Curry it yeah. was floated around, who voiced him in yeah. the animated series for, for a like very, very short two. time. Um, Which you told me actually, you think they went back and redubbed that it's no longer Tim Curry that they redubbed? Yeah, I don't know. I I heard that that first episode. Yeah. Um, You know, I had heard Wilma Defoe, but you're saying they were talking about him for maybe Batman. Uh, David Bowie. David Bowie. I heard. John Lithgow. And then in recent years, uh, it came out because Brad Dureef told this story. Because of the killing joke now. Yeah. That he had run into Tim Cur- uh, Tim Burton on a uh, on an airplane, and they talked about it, 
and Burton had saw Child's Play, I think, and One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, yeah. And was like in such love and with him. Really and really wanted had just read The Killing Joke. Yeah, and was like looking at Brad Dourif. It was just like he would he would have been him. perfect. And as then the Killing Joke to, Joker. And then went to like Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, easy. Yeah. Put the brakes on. You want to cast Mr. Mom as Batman, and you want to put this guy that nobody really knows, the voice of Chucky? It's like, we need a big, we need, somebody needs the big name. The eyes we of Veronica need, Mars. You either need to cast Batman as a big name, or we got to cast the Joker as a big name. I mean, like, yeah. we got to sell this movie. And I think that would have been in the What If game if you had cast. I would have loved it. Yep. Now, I'll be honest, completely honest with you, like Tim Burton, never a huge Jack Nicholson fan, yeah. personally. I, you know, it's not a knock against him. It's not I like I like The Shining. I like some of the movies he's in. I just never like I know people that are like diehard Shining fans, diehard Jack Nichols fans. Me, take it or leave it. Like yeah. I never he was like I, I don't dislike him. Never really one of my favorites. I am, however, a big Brad Dury fan. So. He's taking that one. So I would that would have been. I think he would have been amazing. Um, but they they go to Nicholson. And I guess that I mean, he would have been like. They could have done, like, you know, Heath Ledger got the accolades for playing the Joker. Yeah. Like, that Brad Dreyf would have been. Well, you would have went the route of The Killing Joke, where it would have been more, like, and that's later on when we get into the actual innards of it. It's, you know, but Nicholson's casting, I think, is brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. And he's great, and he's fantastic. But he's, he has an idea. It's like they knew from the beginning, they're trying, they were trying to really, um, uh, get him to go. They were talking to him as early as the the, the Witches of Eastwick, and uh, he kind of ha- knows that they need him for the movie. So he comes up with all these crazy stipulations, which are you know they kind of sound like he's being like a um, a prima donna. But you know what? It's a business. You know, he, he knows. He knows at this time in his career, he's what like fifty years old or fifty five. He's like, yeah, I can get what I want. I can ask for what I want, and I get it. So he asks for like a huge paycheck. He wants to be able to shoot all his stuff, say, in three weeks. So they want them, them to do the schedule around his his thing, which ended up ballooning into more. He wanted to have uh, days off when the Lakers are at home because he's a huge uh, L.A. Lakers fan, basketball. And because of the, you got to give credit where credit's due. He has the foresight. He knew this would be huge. He wanted a cut of the freaking bo- box office reads, yeah, yeah. all of which they gave him. You know, And he also wanted... Um, uh, to be able to have the sign-off ability of the makeup designer because they knew he wanted to be able to sign off on who was going to be, you know, because evidently he has an allergic reality to spirit, uh, allergy to spirit gum, yeah, yeah, which is hilarious because that's what basically spirit gum, for people who don't know, is the prior to, like, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, getting, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, latex effects and all that. Yeah, spirit yeah. gum is the, the glue they use to adhere any appliance to your yeah, face. Yeah, appliance or the hair, like a fake mustache or anything. I mean, like, that's when you go to, like, the store and you're going to buy a fake mustache and you're going to glue that, cement that thing to your face. You're using spirit gum and then you got to get spirit gum remover, which is just as hard. And he's <laughs> allergic to that shit. So. so, yeah. So they cast him and he, let's talk for a minute about him as the Joker. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen this movie for years. We just watched it. And to watch his performance, you know, a lot of people like, you know, are huge Jack Nicholson fans. Uh, he seems like he's very much into himself. I think now for the right reasons. But uh, as over the top he is as the Joker, him playing Jack Napier is brilliant. He plays Jack Napier completely low-key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's he's really really calm and, and it's and it's amazing how he plays him as a narcissist. He's very into himself, and Nicholson does a lot of shtick here, which really goes unrecognized, which I think takes a lot of skill and a lot of like you know rehearsal to do. At the beginning, when they introduce him, he's doing some card tricks, and they're actually pretty good. 
flipping because that's like yeah. you know his device they give him a, you know uh, Jack Napier likes a set of cards so he's playing with cards and he's doing some pretty cool stuff flipping them around and then later on when they're in the museum he's flipping that cane around he's pretty good <laughs> you know what I mean I mean yeah, you look yeah. at like he's like you know you see later on Jim Carrey doing that as the Riddler a little bit he's yeah, like yeah. showcasing because he has like a question mark cane but like Nicholson's pretty good waving the cane around he's flipping it in his hand so it's like he, he did some prep for this well here's the thing about uh, this movie and I'm not even going to say you know, I don't necessarily. I don't think it's a flaw in the movie. Um, this particular thing, I I do think like the way this movie is like for for better or for worse, um, you could have called this movie the Joker. I mean, because it is much more the Joker's movie than it is Batman's movie. Yeah, I personally would have liked it to be more so Batman or more so even. Yeah. Um, with that said. You're right. He does a brilliant job, the low-key. He does... It, it is a portrayal of a guy that goes insane. And in, in what's interesting that they decided for the script, you know, the traditional... Uh, I guess this is a big spoiler here. Uh, it was actually Tim Burton's idea because they went, they had a writer's strike and then the, the, the screenwriter, Sam Hamm, couldn't come in and do rewrites. So they started doing a lot of last-minute changes to, to, and they were running over budget too. Yeah, yeah. So it was actually Tim Burton's idea to have Joker be the guy that kills Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's awesome. I, I don't uh, know if you know. I, I think cause in the context of a movie for a 10-year-old seeing it, it like yeah, completely yeah. bookends it. So it's like, you're like, whoa, I never saw that coming. So I it's like a complete that. surprise. I, yeah, I guess I could see it from that point. Traditionally, it was... I don't think it necessarily anything to the movie it's such like a throwaway thing in a lot of ways just so you can have the line like you made me first. I know I know but it's like you know what it's like it's so cliche nowadays but for me like seeing that in 89 it was like that is wow who would have known like maybe you see it coming I don't know but for me as like a yeah, 10 year old yeah, yeah. I was like that is completely by surprise because in the comics it, it first it was an unnamed assailant that, like a stick up man and then they attribute it in the 40s to a guy named Joe Chill yeah, and Joe yeah. Chill is the one who killed this but then a lot of comic book people were up in arms why the hell are you changing the backstory you know well, that's the thing is you can it's it is a thing with this movie where i feel like it's a, it's a two edged it's a double edged sword because it's like they are you could you know there's the argument that they're taking it back to its roots but at the, at the very at the very same time it's ignoring its roots in a lot of ways um that you could argue that being a case I mean, the Batman that we've come to know and love in recent years, and again, we're putting into perspective that 1989, we know and love Batman the way we do today as a culture or whatever because of this movie. So we have to put into perspective that in 1989, there wasn't this knowledge, universal knowledge of Batman. But um, Commissioner Gordon plays a much bigger part uh, in 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 the comics, um, yeah, they also, really... like, the Waynes are, like, an established family. Like, people know who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah, this movie they plays... make him, like, a little like he just showed up in town. Yeah, this, they, they like, definitely... who is he? He's so mysterious. <laughs> he's so, guy? you know, like, again, it's like almost like I said, the Thomas Crown kind of thing. They're like, who is this guy? I don't know. He's a, he's a, he has all this money, but I guess that's the reason why it's a good device because you bring in Vicki Vale. She's the outsider to the town. Yeah. So it's like you're discovering with the audience. Know I know, yeah, yeah. Him. It's like, you know, so maybe he's just... And they did, and I, and and the organized crime they could have they could have gone the route. I mean, it's just like subtle things like name changes, like you know, like uh, just so you could have used 
you know, Falcone. You could have used. Yeah, they did. You know, they had have Rupert Bullock Thor, I think, or somebody of, as. Instead of Eckhart. You yeah. You could have used. <laughs> but I wonder. Bullock. See, I don't know if Bullock, uh, prior to this, if he was the dirty cop that Eckhart was in yeah. this, because Eckhart is truly playing both sides, where Bullock is a dirty I'm cop to a certain extent. Yeah, nice yeah. To, to the old. You know, instead of making Carl Grissom, you could have had, uh, what's his face? Uh, Thorpe, or whatever the bad yeah, guy's yeah. name is from the. I just feel like you could have. It could have been even closer. Um, and that's, you know, that is what hindsight's 2020 or whatever. Like I said, we know these names because of things like the animated series, because of Gotham, because of, like, the Batman Begins movie. But it's all because of this movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, I can see that it not being an issue back then, but in hindsight, it would have been cool for it to be a little bit more that. Because uh, traditionally, the Joker, basically, he was like a, 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 like a semi-nice guy. And then when you get to the the Alan Moore killing joke, he's just a guy that's like trying to make ends meet. He's got a pregnant wife. He, he gets in with the wrong crowd to make some extra money. His pregnant wife dies like an hour before he's about to go on this job. The job gets botched. He accidentally falls into the tank of ass. And he, be- and he snaps. And then the, the, the whole point of the killing joke, which I think I love and oh, I love and I think they could have brought into the end of this in the cathedral is a little more of the rationalization of why the Joker is the Joker in his head and him explaining like the you know it's it's basically just the world is so fucked up look what it it, it got me and with Nicholson's Joker he's already a bad guy yeah, yeah. you know so it you're right it drives him insane and then it just takes it to a different level where now he's he was already such a bad dude as it was that now it just opens a whole new door into bad dudes. And the, re- the thing, everyone now, the whole thing between since 2008 with The Dark Knight, uh, who's the better? Is it, is it, uh, of course, Heath Ledger is the better than Jack Nicholson or yeah. vice versa. I don't think you can compare the two because if you look at the mythos of Batman, Nicholson's portrayal is much, much more hits at home. It is, he is a lunatic. I mean, he, it's like a psychopath versus a sociopath. Like yeah, Heath yeah. Ledger's Joker is a guy who's insane, but he's conniving and smart, where you look at Jack Nicholson's Joker, Jack Nicholson's Joker is fucking sitting at home, laughing to himself, cutting, and he's there for an hour cutting fucking pictures, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so he's insane there, and that's how he passes his time, where Heath Ledger's like plotting and scheming, I don't think Heath Ledger's Joker necessarily would, uh, you know, if, there, if there's a way he's gonna die, he'll run away, where this Joker openly just waits to get shot or killed and, and you know he could have been killed like a half a dozen times in the movie yeah. with the bat wing at the end so he's at this level where he's fucking insane and this could be his last day he doesn't care yeah, you know yeah. so it adds that aspect of where I think uh, Nicholson's Joker is a little more of the Joker that they invented you know of that kind of a uh, uh, you know the, the Bill Finger aspect where like you know we, we talked Bob Kane Bill Finger came up with the thing, gave it to Bob Kane, and Bob Kane looked at it, supposedly, and he's like, well, uh, or, 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 I'm sorry, Jerry Robinson. Jerry Robinson, And yeah. he's like, you know, the, it looks too much like a clown to me. Yeah, Can you yeah. do something with it? And then it, uh, he, at the time, Robinson had stills of a silent movie called The, the Man Who Laughs, Conrad Veidt, very crazy fucking movie, which is very good, where it's like uh, about a guy in Germany, uh, the gypsies, and I don't know if this is true, but evidently the, the, the gypsies who didn't like gypsy children, they would fuck with them, and they'd rip their faces open and give them like they called it a gypsy smile which is now they do in England it's called a Chelsea smile there's football soccer fans in in the Chelsea uh, the the area of England where they will go behind someone's face put their fingers in their face and behind and rip the the lips open and that's 
you get a Chelsea smile. So like a lot of people, when they saw the Heath Ledger Joker in yeah, 2008, yeah. were like, oh my God, it's a Chelsea smile because that's the scar yeah. it kind of gives you is a smile. So uh, Robinson kind of uh, modeled his Joker image off of the Conrad Veidt man who laughs Joker, which they're very similar. So, you know, you can't, it's apples and oranges when people want to compare the Heath Ledger Joker versus the Jack Nicholson Joker. And I think, you know, Jack Nicholson is such like a, a uh, like he's almost like Marlon Brando and Superman. He brings such a gravitas to it yeah, yeah. that people are like, you know, he's amazing or people will say, I don't like him because it's Jack Nicholson. But he did kind of do his homework to a certain extent. He was, you know, he was getting into it a certain way and then they talked about the the makeup design where they wanted to figure out, like they told Nicholson when they were doing face impressions, let's give me the biggest smile you can make and, and just let's do a regular one. And yeah, then they yeah. tried to model, they tried to figure out a, a menacing uh, scar on his face that looked like a smile that w- a grin that wouldn't look so much like a smile when he was normal but then when Jack Nicholson would smile it would it turn would into really, a grin yeah, yeah. you know so that it's it's all these little things I think that really brings it out yeah it's a really interesting makeup job because it's so creepy looking well I love that that's like the, the scene it, bringing it back again to like the, the pulp uh, you know the, the, the film noir uh uh, back room like Warner Brothers aspect of the gangster or like when he goes to that that yeah, really like that meeting with the, 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 even before that when he goes to get his the, to the surgeon the back oh, room yeah, surgeon yeah. you know it's like look what I've got to work with yeah, like, that's so, fucking oh, it's so <laughs> good I have to work you know right? yeah, oh and that's that's another thing too we were talking about our casting so then I thought you know as James Cagney as the Joker and you have Peter Lurie as Bob the Goon you know <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a freaking. That. Uh, that's a great 1939 Warner Brothers movie. We got to get that made. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, like that. Yeah. So you're right. So it's like, so it's like he's like, look what I have to work with here because it's Peter Lorre playing the part of that guy. You know, <laughs> I'm our, afraid the nerves are completely <laughs> severed, Mister Napier. You know, and then you're right. Then when he gets to the, you know, then it's very 40s the era with with you know they had the suits and all that kind of thing. And then like yeah, when he when he sit around the boardroom, it's like he's wearing you know the face paint. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah. I remember as a kid not really understanding that. Oh, that, he, that he's white, and then yeah, he puts the, he like, puts the how is he, know, how as is a he, kid, how like, is he flush color again? You don't actually see him put on makeup until later on when he's until later on, and then when he wipes the makeup off, you see that he's underneath. Yeah, yeah but like I just remember like not getting that as a kid. Yeah. And, and there was also, did you have this? There was always like this urban, like this urban legend going around that like, uh, you know, as kids do, you know, things get blown out of proportion. You also try to. There's always this thing where like. Somebody had told me that, like some other kid had told me that he had read or saw on like a show that t- that uh, Jack Nicholson had actually gotten plastic surgery to look that way for the movie, and then they got corrective surgery after the no, show. No, I never heard that. I've heard the um, the De Niro Cape Fear thing where uh, he got his he paid like five grand or ten grand to get his teeth all fucked up. Yeah, you know, for the role, and then you know he they they put like vegetable oil as the tattoos, which lasts six months on your body. Like he went to the tour de force, but th- that's actually I bring up Cape Fear because I'll bring that up later on. Uh, but I know I never heard that. I mean, I used to be able to do a really good yeah, you know, doing yeah. it now. The Joker smile, so that was like a big hit with my friends at the time. That you know around the time of this movie, uh, but I, I I just think it, it it's really a good good performance he does, and he's just a fucking it's nuts, and it and it works well and. And that's why I was saying, like, I think the movie's like a masterpiece in the the, the things that it's it's the perfect example of what they were trying to do, like a a, a '30s era, you know, Bill Finger, Bob Kane idea of Batman movie with the the comic element. That's why you can fault the script for like, well, it's so unbelievable that he's you know sending products. It's like you know, 
Cobblepot running for mayor in the second one. Yeah, yeah. But that's what happened in the comic book. And up until that time, the suspension of disbelief, the late 80s, we lived in an era where we completely believed Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of Commando can go on an island and take out 500 <laughs> fucking guys and not maybe only get grazed in yeah, the arm. Yeah. And that was completely believable. We lived in a world where you can't do that now. You can't have, like, Stallone as Rambo taking on an army and yeah, getting, yeah. you know. So... It was kind of plausible, and that was the world we lived in. And then in the comic book world, that was still a little believable, where you can have him, you know. And it, and I like how they do uh, give little justifications in it, like he fi- he's got a like a, a, a cla- he's doing kind of the plot and scheming that the Heath Ledger character kind of did, where he's found CIA classified of like this nerve toxin that makes your face look like that. Yeah, so yeah. what's he doing? He's he's doing like a MacGyver thing where you add this to this chemical here, this, and when they combine, they'll turn you know it'll turn into that nerve gas, and that is. The first plot, the, f- the first appearance of the Joker, which in Batman the Animated Series I learned doing the research for this, that a lot of the 70s or whatever really classic comic book issues were kind of redone in the animated series, like yeah, the yeah. Wolfman one or the, the Man Bat, yeah. you know. And the first appearance of the Joker in the, in the, in the Batman number one, 1940, is the Joker says, I'm going to kill somebody by midnight and uh, you know, there's nothing you guys can do about it. So, like, you know, up until that time, they have, and I think this is the episode of that mini series, they have the guy, cops are surrounding him. Uh, he's got the jewel that the Joker says he's going to steal in his vault. And then at midnight, the guy falls down and dies, and he's got a grin on his face. And the, 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 the thing has been replaced already with, um, with a fake, the jewel. It's like a piece of glass. And yeah, you come yeah. to find out was that the Joker had sneaked in the night before, replaced the thing, and then injected the guy with this neurotoxin that would take 24 hours to kill him and give him a grin. Yeah, yeah. You know, So it's freaky to think that the Joker's going to come in and kill you and give you that grin when you die. And that, that's why they kind of, I guess, lifted that story. But yeah, I, I mean, is there really any... I mean, is there any real motivation? I mean, there's not really in this, right? I think, well... He's see, just he, crazy and he no, wants to well, kill people. That's, why, that's, the, that's the thing where I wish they did what the Alan Moore killing joke does that he kind of justifies like in the, in the killing joke, uh, you know, he, he, at the end of it, they show up, they're at a carnival and the Joker has like, uh, kidnapped commissioner Gordon. He has shot his, shot his daughter in the stomach, crippling her in the spine, taking clothes off of her, take like either raped her or took pictures of her naked. He strips down commissioner Gordon, handcuffs him to a ride and has him go through like this, this, this haunted house ride with, showing him pictures of his naked daughter being, you know, uh, assaulted to try to make him go crazy. And he's trying to explain to him what the, 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 the level of depravity that'll make you go mad. And I wish they did that here because there's elements of his insanity, Nicholson's Joker, that you're kind of getting hints at why he's, it's almost like the vanity. So he's, he's, you know, they were saying like, if you just put the deodorant on, it wouldn't work. But if you're adding, you know, the, the, the yeah, yeah. women, it's like, if you're putting makeup on with, uh, perfume and hairspray that'll you know that'll you know so it's like there's he's targeting you know if he just you know anybody using it it would have killed everybody but there's he's targeting there's also this aspect of like I think they play in like his own vanity in that there's a lot of like wing freak terrorizes you know there's this whole thing of like what kind of world do we live in that a man just is a bad thing gets all my, my breasts yeah. you know there's this like it seems like his motivation is not really anything other than like personal. Well, he wants like, the attention. Ego. Yeah, because yeah. the beginning of the movie, it's all about the, him and and uh, what's her face, Alicia Jerry Vale, Jerry Hall, who was at oh, the yeah, time yeah. was uh, Mick Jagger's girlfriend. I think that's how she got the part because Mick Jagger and Nicholson are really close because he's yeah. a big Stones fan, and I think he's the godfather to to Jerry Hall's son or daughter. Him and 
Angela, uh, Angelica Houston, who Nicholson was with at the time as the godmother. But the first shot of them, like I said, he's playing with the cards. She's got pictures of herself. He's at her house. She's, she's got pictures of herself all over the wall, and it's interesting that she's got the white face with the red lips, and he's got his feet up on the issue of whatever she's on, and his, his feet are on top of that magazine. Yeah. And he's all about image. He's looking at himself in the mirror and all yeah, that kind of thing. Like you were yeah, and he's like, I didn't ask. You know, and he's all about you know the, the, the suits looking nice and all that. We kind of already know he's a psycho. And then when he becomes nuts, you know, he sees the Joker card li- before, and he beca- when he when he when he kind of loses it at the uh, surgeon's office, it's kind of like he's it's he's all these years, the vanity, and now it's like look what's happened to him, and that kind of makes him go over the edge, and now he goes after other people's vanity, and how about the relationship between uh, Jack Napier, the Joker, versus the mall uh, Alicia, because he's he's banging her, who's the who's Jack uh, Palance's girlfriend, and that's the reason why he gets set up. He shows back up with her, and then what does he do? The first thing he does, which we don't see, is he scars her. Yeah, he throws yeah. acid in her face, which evidently I didn't know. It's it's like a, a thing people used to do to women in the old days. If the, you know, they throw that like if you're too much of a beauty. Remember in Touch of Evil with um, Susan, uh, Orson yeah, Welles, yeah. they that one Mexican tries to throw acid into Vargas's Charlton Heston's How face. Or, that? Yeah, that I know that was a thing. That was a, you throw <laughs> you throw fucking, and that's what happened to Two Face. You know, well, that had, well, there was like some documentary about a guy that. He was. The, I wish I could remember the documentary, but there's a documentary that you can find like on Netflix, and it's like about a. You know, these people are still alive, but he. This guy was like so in love with this woman that he threw lie in her face and blinded her. That's uh, um, that's unbelievable. And they're like together now, and that's what the documentary is. Well, about. see, and that's this is where, where I'm going with this. Where it's he, so he throws acid into Alicia's face, and it traumatizes her so much. But for some reason, he stay. She stays with him, but yeah. then she hides her image behind a porcelain doll. So yeah, it's like yeah. she's so beautiful. Look what's happened to the Joker. Joker's going to scar her like he was scarred, take her down. She stays with him for some sort of psychosis. I know, but she's also, like, not all there. Well, because I think she, I think at that point, like, he's doping her up. Like, like, he's, you Jack, know. Jack, you told me you were going to let me see you painting, make the yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, you know. And, and he's hiding her, her behind the porcelain mask. And then, it, you know, and it, it's some sort of, you know, they're together. And it's, it's almost, you can see where I think they invented uh, Harley Quinn. For, for the animated series. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could sort of see elements of the psychosis there because her background is she's like a shrink that tried to like psychoanalyze the Joker and she ended up falling in love with him in yeah, Arkham. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this here where it's like she's a model and, and she ends up staying with the Joker even though he's done this to her and, and you know, I think he's got her, you know, like I said, like doped up on pills. But it's just interesting th- their relationship of what he's doing and she's staying with him. And then, you know, at the end, uh, remember when Kim Basinger almost makes a, pass at him to like distract yeah, him he's yeah. like oh, taking aback and it's like you know someone's showing me interest like it's like you it's for the first time the joker stops being the joker yeah, yeah and he's almost like oh my god what's going on here it's like almost he's reverted back to the jack napier yeah yeah well that also you know that scene in the in the museum is such a like when he sits down with her and she's a photographer he's an artist and he's like i'm an artist too and, it, and he's it's like, so subversive yeah, isn't yeah, it it's so creepy in a way that like i totally wouldn't have gotten yeah at, at age 10 because remember he's like looking again he's he goes into a museum he, he he destroys all the art there except for like this real grotesque thing yeah, yeah. and then he sits down with her and i love the idea that we learn later on too as well as when when he has the confrontation with bruce wayne in uh vicky vale's apartment that uh in the 50s jackie gleason uh became he was sh- so famous but he also started putting out this music that's hugely famous and it's just like really like 
uh, string heavy, like uh, very moody kind of uh, great atmospheric music. For and and his reasoning was like in the movies he would see like uh, Earl Flynn, you know, sweet talking a girl, and this kind of music would come on in the background. He's yeah, like, yeah. you know, if if uh, if Earl Flynn needs music like that, a, uh, a guy like me is definitely gonna need music like that. So he made this music that was hugely popular, and he stayed on the bo- top ten Billboard charts for like. You know, he didn't. He wasn't writing it, but he was yeah, kind yeah. of arranging it with his friends who Which, were professional by the way, musicians. I don't think I ever told you this, and this is a complete aside yeah. for people who are not going to care about this. But when I started collecting vinyl records recently, and I went through like boxes of like my parents' records that were going to go, they had the Jackie. I Jesus? threw. I have like five forty-fives of those mint condition in the sleeve. <sighs> have you listened to them? They're so. I put them on the background, like when you're cooking or whatever. Yeah, they're yeah. just. They're just so nice. Just it was like they never even opened them. Yeah, it's, just, it's like you still like you gotta crack the because they're like in the little you know like book sleeves. Yeah, almost, and you, gotta, you gotta, like crack the binding because they've never been opened. And it, they're just so brilliant. It's just like mood music, you know. And, it, and it's amazing to think that Jackie Gleason was just huge comedian, but at the same time he was doing the sideline. And then not only that, this was hugely popular, and he was on the the Billboard's top twenty for like fifteen twenty years because he was yeah. doing this kind of music with professional musicians at the time, jazz guys. But my point is, so I love that 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 the Joker has like this Jackie Gleason mute music walking around with him, like he has the boombox, he turns yeah, it on, yeah. he turns it off, like oh yeah, Bruce yeah, like Wayne's you don't a, know that it's it's, it's you know we it's talk about diegetic and non-diegetic, like you'd think it's just the background like score, it's non-diegetic, and then he turns it off, it's like oh he's ruined the mood and it's like it's diegetic, so I love that, but you're right. So they're in the museum, and he gets your portfolio, and he starts looking. He's like, "Crap, crap! All like the stuff he would have liked as Jack Napier." But then yeah, when yeah. he gets to like the horrifying stuff, he's like, "This is amazing. This is what you know." Yeah, and he's it's like, well, I'm an artist also, and I'm you know. Yeah, he's, he says he's thinking th- of himself as like what he's doing, like his latest work, it's yeah, a work in progress, the avant-garde of a true aesthetic. You know, it's Alicia. You know, yeah, yeah. and he's like, I w- "And you're going to take pictures and document my, you know?" Yeah, and it's just see what's her to be like a photojournalist documenting him as an artist. And his his and it's it's like he's taking the art to the next level it's almost you know like when he starts when he's gonna go kill all those people it's like he just it's it's like it's getting worse him his psychosis of you know what is art it's just challenging the society and we're getting into a lot of like uh you know uh philosophical or, or psychological <laughs> issues but he's like almost yeah, yeah going after what society deems this that and the other thing uh so where, where do we go from here uh freaking uh Pat Hingle, I love. I think they cast him a little older um, as Commissioner Gordon. Well, he's definitely more of like, like for I me, know. I think it was his his role was perfect in this movie. But traditionally, for me, I thought Pat Hingle or Commissioner Gordon should have been a little younger. You yeah, know, because yeah. he's kind of like because a lot of people don't realize is, uh, I don't know if the, I mean the, like we talked about before six hours ago that you know the first appearance <laughs> of Bruce Wayne was with Commissioner Gordon the same issue and they're they're, they're bullshitting, but. In the in the Batman lore, it's like I don't think Bruce Wayne knew, but the first beat cop on the scene to his parents' murder was was Gordon, Gordon as a beat yeah. cop, and they'd written that in in an early draft of this movie, but they ended up taking it out. And then later on, in the mythos, when Commissioner Gordon becomes Commissioner Gordon, it's Alfred who tells Bruce Wayne that I don't know if you know this, but th- he was the cop that you're holding on to because there's like a picture of him holding yeah, on to yeah. a police officer. That's Commissioner Gordon. So that gives that's the catalyst that that Bruce Wayne, as he dresses up a Batman, to go help. Commissioner Gordon out now and give him the sure. that signal. Well, there's also like if you know for you, you know, uh, being a year anniversary, we're actually going to introduce a new segment kind of towards the end of the show. But this is uh, kind of a little teaser of that. Uh, further reading or viewing is like um, there was a uh, like a short series there called Batman Year One. Yeah, and they made a, a a pretty good animated movie out of it, and it's a lot about 
early Batman and the relationship with him and Gordon. Yeah, which you're seeing a lot now in that this new Gotham uh, show. Yeah, Gotham, you and know. also to extent the the the, the Nolan movie. Well, it, that shows up in the Nolan movie that scene where you see uh, yeah. you know uh, Officer Gary Oldman, you know. Uh, conferring him. So you have him. But if we're talking about casting, you know, there was a what if we talked about that we didn't do with the what if game. There was, like I said, there's there was a originally intention of kind of introducing Dick Grayson. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> no, but there was talk of Keith or Sutherland. Yes, yes, Keith or Sutherland is playing him. Um, I'm but, so glad that didn't come to fruition. <laughs> but other uh, castings that you're talking about, Hingle, um, Michael Goff, who plays. Uh, the Alfred. Who plays Alfred. Freaking amazing. Yeah. Lot, first of all, great in these movies, but he's in a lot of the Hammer yeah, horror movies. Yeah, he's a great... He's in one... He plays a... He's a cameo in one of my favorite movies of all time. The Boys from Brazil, he's in that. And he, yeah, he comes from that Hammer. And I think he's perfect as the classic. I mean, nowadays you look at... Alfred has kind of been refined and redone where he's kind of now like the MI5, you know, and that's... He teaches yeah, yeah. Bruce Wayne to become the badass. And But in this movie, Alfred's a fucking enabler. You know, yeah. he, you know, he's proactively saying, like, you know, you got to get your ass out there. Right? You know what I mean? He's <laughs> like, go do this. Yeah, you know, then, you know very unexpected. has a very weird there. relationship in this movie. But also, uh, for a little uh, thing, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Lee Wallace is the mayor, is Mayor Borg. Yeah. You know what? It's really weird for me because for me growing up, Lee Wallace, Mayor Borg, I've only seen Lee, Mayor Borg in this movie. Yeah, I've only seen Lee Wallace in two pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And when I was little, I thought that that was Ed Koch. Yeah. And and I thought Lee Wallace looked exactly like Ed Koch. And then when well, we got older, <laughs> we're getting into <laughs> the original taking of the Pelham One Two Three. The only other movie I've seen Lee Wallace in, he plays the mayor. He at the plays time. the mayor, and it's very playing a very mayor Koch. Which is weird because I think circa '74 when this came out, it was John Lindsay as mayor, and I think Koch was running because Koch, I forget he 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 runs and he when gets it like in '78 or '78 '79 when Pelham came out yeah so. Pelham 1 2 3 came out so it's but it, the only two movies I've ever seen him in and he plays mayor he's playing so. mayor Koch-esque mayors in shitty ass cities <laughs> and, and, and especially in the taking of Pelham 1 2 3 it's, they're completely like taking the mickey out on him like he's sick he doesn't want to get out of bed he's like you need to come there's a fucking hostage situation yeah yeah you know so he's great and, and then uh, anybody else just before we get to Michael Goff uh, Tracy Walter as freaking Bob the Goon I love I had such an affinity to Bob the Goon as soon as I saw him on screen uh, in Batman. I used to always get him mixed up with the actor who plays the guy who made the Nexus Sixes in um, yeah yeah in, totally in, in Blade in Blade Runner yeah, yeah. you know uh, not that no not, not Joe Turtle Joe Turtle the actor who was in The Shining who ends up being the inventor but the guy who designed him yeah who has the you know that 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 Daryl Hannah goes and you know that guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, he, and he was on the Batman he, he voiced does the, he voices the, it, in yeah. that animatronic episode uh, of Batman the Animated Series where they have an evil Batman yeah he's the kind of he was on the Newhart show yeah that but guy yeah, I could totally see you get so I used to always get confused. them mixed up and then Tracy Walter shows up in Steve McQueen's last movie The Hunter as a bad guy and then I saw him like an episode of like uh, Married with Children he was like a like a arc, uh, uh, a roller coaster he's in a ton of stuff yeah he's, he's in all this kind of but he was good friends with Jack Nicholson Jack Nicholson gave him the part and I thought he was such a cool guy, Bob the Goon. And even last night, I was trying to psychoanalyze his his journey of like being Jack Napier's right hand man. He's always in there. He gets him out of the trouble at the Axis Chemicals. Joker becomes a Joker, but then he sticks with him, and he's kind of almost like trying to figure him out. He's not scared of him. I never yeah, like the yeah. other goons are maybe a have, little scared. They have history. Yeah, but he's able. But he stays like he. It, it, 
you 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 kind of realize as the Joker's getting more nuts that he can do anything. And then look at the end, which I used to hate. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. To this day, I don't know what do why. Would you think I'm watching it this time? Because I don't think I ever picked up on it as a kid. You see, the like, uh, you know, Bob, you're my number one guy. Yeah. Well, Palance says that too. Oh, yeah. And I never really got that. that oh, I, like, I I completely even got when that. I was like when I was ten, I didn't really yeah. understand. Oh no, that I, was like I a reference to that. Yeah, I completely. But it was like we know what happens to. You know, we oh, see so what happens. Saying, and is it like foreshadowing that Bob's gonna get it? Well, I wonder if he's if he's telling him, like you know, you're now you're in this position, and you know, maybe watch yourself or don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like a warning. Remember what'll happen to you. And yeah, as we're, and and so that I that always was so so heartbreaking that he kills him there. You know, but it's just furthering like he's he's. I think he knows he's gonna die, the Joker that night, because he's he's next scene he's wanting the the yeah, yeah. the, the fucking need a <laughs> yeah to fucking kill him. Uh, and then. Uh, uh, uh it, who's the other? You just you just gave me uh, 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 Tracy Walter, uh, uh, and Jack Palance, the only guy that can you know who who can you have be a little above Jack Nicholson? Well, here's the thing: great. I mean, circa 1989 for a kid our age, <laughs> the only thing we really knew Jack Palance from, aside from watching Shane and and school, was uh, yeah, City Slickers. Well, no, that was when was, was that, City is that later Slickers? on? 90, 91. I was gonna say Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh yeah, he was. He the did presenter. play Dracula, but our no, Dracula, I, our Frank Dracula was Franklin, really Frank, Frank Langella. Was yeah. our Dracula? Uh, yes, Ripley. He was huge. He was the host of a show called Ripley's Believe It or Not, which most 80s. people today would know like Dean Kane as Dean like Kane the host, from, yeah, which was just they they, they just re uh, relaunched or rebooted it. So I think he's great in, in that little role he plays, and then of course we have Billy D. Billy D. Williams. Uh, this is a tra- another tragic story because they cast Billy D. Uh, with the, the idea that Billy D would have, I, I don't know if it's like a verbal agreement that he would have played Two Face, and it's it's to, he is such a small role in this movie, and I wonder watching it last night that plays he's Harvey Dent. He's playing Harvey Dent, and I wonder if he's playing the role so small, knowing that he's going to have a bigger role later on, because yeah, yeah. he walks into the frame a lot, walks out, he just says something, mumbles something around well, his know, cigar. At this point, Billy D Williams was the Colt Forty Five guy. I mean, he wasn't. Yeah, he'd already he really reached wasn't the a peak. movie star, really a movie star anymore. No, he reached his peak in the seventies with. Uh, he's in the um, the Lady Day movie with uh, the the lady Lady sings the blues. Maybe yeah, the yeah. one about Bill Bill Holiday, and then of course he was on the Jeffersons, big camera. And then you know he's in uh, uh, Nighthawks. Nighthawks, thank you. <laughs> and then of course you know uh, everybody, no matter what Lando. denomination you are, you know him as Lando. So he kind of peaked in the mid eighties. So to have him come back, it's like. And it would have been really interesting because I guess the idea was that they were going to take you know an African American, and then when you when you have them become Two Face, it was going to be like black versus white. They were going to do something like that kind of a thing. But uh, something happened where I I know I heard another urban legend that he like he part of his contract was if you were to use Two Face, you have to use me. So for a while, that's the reason why Two Face didn't show up until the John Joel Schumacher movie because there was you know they didn't bring him back for the for the sequel. But yeah, he thought yeah. he was coming back as a sequel. So he thought he was just playing like a low part. So I wonder if that's the reason why even more he kind of just you know under underplayed his role. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit. You know, thinking well, there like was also back at that point. Here's the other thing. Okay, like we talk about the movie itself. Now, I mean, as we as we start to as we start to kind of wind down here, um, we got to talk about like the, the impact of this movie. One, you know, this movie comes out and there was all of the stuff about how like Adam West was really upset that he wasn't asked to be in it. 
But also, like, there was this huge backlash against the Bill Dozier show after this. The 66 Batman. And that's when I was All of a sudden, it was like, this Batman, fuck that Batman. <laughs> well, that's how I, that's, that was the only time I was really first introduced to it, because the local affiliate in New York, WPIX, started playing them. Yeah. So, I was like, holy shit, I can watch Batman anytime I want now. And, it, you know, of course, there's a marked difference between the two of them. And, uh... And then so like the, there was that and like this became like the Batman and everybody didn't really care about <laughs> other Batmans anymore. But then you talk about we talked about the, the 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 trailer and the way it was advertised and then the Bat logo. But this like it really was a cultural phenomenon. If for no other reason like I maybe we can put a clip to this when we post it because like if you just want to see like how powerful like the ripples of like the pebble of this movie hitting the water, how far the the, the pebbles go? Nineteen eighty nine, David Sanborn, who's a jazz saxophone player, he has a late night show called Night Music, and it's basically he would just have people come on and like Screaming Jay Hawkins comes on and plays, <laughs> you know, Tosh Mahal comes on and plays, you know, his songs. He ha- Clapton has a, has an album. Eric Clapton has an album come out called Journeyman. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was like a big hit for him, and he hadn't had a really huge, huge hit in a long, in, in kind of a while. It was really considered like a, a like a renaissance for Clapton that album when that came out. He goes on that show, plays uh, I think "Old Love" with uh, a song called "Old Love" with Robert Cray, who co-wrote it, and he plays this. This is Clapton. Yeah, and he plays this uh, Ray Charles song called "Hard Times" with you know Dave Sanborn like accompanying on saxophone. Clapton is dressed in a purple suit with like a green shirt underneath. I mean, just saying, like you think that's completely it's yeah. a, it's not it's, it's like the, the, the impact of of Batman. Like, look at Prince, the Bat Dance. You it know? went into like it became a thing where like the Joker was a thing. We had a friend in college uh, named Chachi who get, he had a pair of shoes that he never wore. Really beautiful, like, well-made pair of shoes he gave me. He's, they were lime green. He's like, I bought these, like, in 89 when, like, you know, everybody wanted to be, you remember like, the, the remember Joker. Remember the, the sneakers? I remember I was always trying to find the Joker. They were, like, Keds or whatever yeah, they yeah. were. And you had the Batman, the white ones with the Batman logo, and then you had the Joker ones that were, like, green with yeah, the yeah. Joker logo. And, like, you can never find the Joker logo. The Metropolitan one. Museum of the Arts a couple years ago did a, a, an exhibit where they... We're showing how comic book heroes like, influence fashion, but the ex- I went to the exhibit and it was all about like how it influenced like high fashion, like runway models and stuff. I was like, they got us like. There's nothing here about how like the movie Batman and the Joker like influence everyday fashion. It, it was you unbelievable. Know? Like that is just to show you like in this tiny little microcosm of like how kind of important this movie was and then our generation which is unfortunate like comic books from our generation are worth anything but this movie really was the movie that ushered in like that huge comic book boom of the 90s yeah um there was so much i mean we had the flash tv show greenlit because of this i'm sure dick tracy and we go on to say the shadow and rocketeer all these movies that you know theatrically and then you know the uh and then ba- the bruce tim's um uh batman the animated series and these comic books and, th- and then you had this huge it really was like this thing. pebble that hit the water that we're still seeing the ripples from. I mean, the Marvel movies, all that stuff, none of that shit would have happened. We would not have Avengers. We would not have any of this stuff if it wasn't for the success of Batman. And then before that, the success of Superman. And I don't think even the, the, all these Marvel movies up to, to this recording, as big as they are, they still haven't been as big as... I mean, maybe Star Wars coming out this, this winter yeah, yeah. might come close, but the Batman... 
I mean, you we've we've commented like literally we look at things in our it is a tentpole in our lives where like when you try to figure out like when did that happen? Okay, that can't that was after Batman. So that had to be like 92 mm. or, you know, like, oh, that was before Batman. So it was pre-99. It really is like for our generation, it is a moment in time where we judge the rest of our lives as that as like the midpoint, <laughs> you know, like that's the equator and everything on one side of the equator or the other side. Yeah, of the pre, pre and post Batman. Um, before we get off the fashion, I always wanted one of those Joker goon. Uh, jackets. I can never able to find them. I remember, like, if you got my parents just get in the mail for some reason, maybe I signed up it for them. The, you get the Warner Brothers catalog. Yeah, yeah. And it had it in there for like five hundred dollars. Well, if uh, I don't know if, when whoever's going to listen to this right now, uh, Prop Store is preparing for an auction. Uh, this is late September, so it's happening. I think somewhat soon. Um, but if you go on there, if you catch it fast enough, they have actually some Batman stuff, and one of them is one of those out- was jackets. one of those <gasps> jokers. I want one of them so bad that I think was a crew, an actual crew jacket that they gave the crew, not one that was used in the movie. I love the goons, and they said they modeled the outfits off of the New York City's Guardian Angels at the time. Yeah, which yeah. is, if you think about it, they are kind yeah, of wearing the berets, the berets, and, you know, and, and yeah. that. that um, uh, I the guess there's some there's other things they hit on. Uh, Anton First's uh, Batmobile. Oh, the Batmobile is like know, the greatest looking car of all time. I know. That's, I know. that's why I said we have. There's there's things we have to, to to hit on. I mean, his his thing. It took 14 weeks to build the thing. It's 20 feet long by eight feet wide. They they they, they got the and idea. And the only reason why those people got the the job to to make it was because they went to somebody else and somebody's like, it's going to take 16. It's going to take six months. Yeah, they wanted Ford offered to do it for free, but then Ford wouldn't give up the creative control. Like, yeah. no, 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 we'll do it. And this uh, John Evans, this special effects guy, he ended up making it. He did all the. The Art Deco Batman like gadgets, which I think are great because they're so low tech functional yeah, yeah. gadgets, they look great. They wanted to keep it in that world of thirty nine. But Anton first, who designed it, he said he wanted it to look timeless and suggest sex and violence at the same time. And I think it is to this day, I, it is still the the best Batmobile of all yeah, time. Yeah. And this is there's a there's a um, uh, an article I did on Potterwitz.com that that I'll put a link to this where I argue why. Keaton, everyone says Keaton's movie is not as good as the Nolan movies. Yeah, yeah. And just the production design. You take Anton first and the shit he did. I mean, the Tumblr, that thing fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first movie, okay, but by the second or third movie, you think he would have adapted a little more to have like a logo or look a little yeah, more yeah. Batman-y on it. The, the 18, 1880, 1889, the 1989 <laughs> Batmobile, the steampunk <laughs> Batmobile, that Batmobile is freaking awesome. To this day, it's so cool it's looking. It's so awesome. You know? And, I mean, they, they, put a, they, they, they designed the thing, like, how are we going to get Batman into it? So they figured, like, they, they'd seen, like, the Harrier jump uh, cockpits, oh, yeah, how yeah, they, the cockpit, how yeah. they, they that they way. they designed it, and they're like, wait, there's no door. Yeah, how are we going <laughs> to get the damn thing in? Uh, and so they had to actually – they. They were trying to figure out how to put Batman in. They put the seat so low to the ground that like we can't get it any lower. They had to make the, his cowl ears a little yeah, lower to, for him to get they in. Wouldn't close because of the ears. Uh, they shot it all in England uh, from October uh, 1988 to, to February like uh, 89, and uh, they shot it at Pinewood Studios, the back lots, because they have one of the biggest bat lots in the world. And they said that all the sets were wouldn't weren't as bi- it was the biggest thing since they did Cleopatra in 1961 or 62 because they shot Cleopatra. Uh, they started shooting Cleopatra on the back lots of Pinewood Studios. So that was huge. Uh, and then uh, we mentioned John Evans, who had done Raiders of Lost Ark, Moonraker, Octopussy, and Full Metal Jacket, who did all the, the, the special effects. There's a guy, the visual effects guy, Derek 
meddlings. He he did Bond films and he had done some other things. But, um, he had done all the miniature work at the end with the, yeah, with, the yeah. with the sets in the Batwing, which are all like um, miniatures. Which also one of the things being auctioned off on that auction is uh, a, a building, a miniature building from Batman Returns with oh, so with the uh, with the op. Oswald Cobblepot for mayor on it, like sign. Oh, I would that. love that. I mean, he he they won an Oscar. He won an Oscar for Superman and Anton First. I think they won an Oscar for set design. But uh, uh, Derek uh, Medlings, he got a uh, his start doing models on Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah. So he he learned from Thunderbirds the the show we love with uh, Gary and Sylvia Anderson. He got his start there, and uh, you know that ending sequence there. You know the 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 whole Batwing thing. They shot at twenty four frames a second. It was all one twelve scale. Uh, it was like 18 feet uh, long, the, the, the street, 10 inches wide, yeah. the street. It's, and then well, we just, you, you know, know, we were a sucker for, for all that. For, for those, those old school little, effects oh, as opposed it, to But CGI. it looks so amazing, you know. It I is, mean? It's a beautiful thing. Also, I mean. Even the, the cathedral at the end, you know, it, it's, it's so, it's like the perfect yeah, place to end the Batman, of you know. The, of this, oh, of Gotham, the, the, and beautiful. those to me, the next year in Dick Tracy, uh, nineteen ninety, that's right out of that. Like how how good those Matt Payton yeah. look of that city, it's freaking amazing. And then we talk about the merchandising. There's the merchandising, and I should also say before we get to because we have a little surprise for you listeners. I mean, there's so much here. We came with, we had our interns, we paid <laughs> our interns a lot of OT, and we have we have pages and but pages. But I do want to say, like, we're doing this movie as our one year anniversary because of it's such an important movie to us and our generation. Yeah. And I should also say that like this year is also the anniversary of Batman Forever. Okay. So there's we have another anniversary that we're celebrating today, which a lot of people don't realize like Batman Returns was so weird that there was talk of like they're not gonna make anymore. Because, like, it was so weird. <laughs> well, they brought Tim Burton back, and they had Anton first, who killed himself right after doing, I think, Batman Returns. And so you can see some of his So as much as, like, people there. might want to diss Batman Forever, it's like the success of Batman Forever is why, like, okay, it gave us Batman and Robin. But that was but still it huge. Also, but it also it didn't jump the shark. Us, like, it was also one of the reasons why we had the Nolan movies that people love so much. Yeah. And it's also the anniversary of Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. So oh, we have a 20-year anniversary, and then we have a 10-year anniversary. So there's a couple of Batman anniversaries this year. And to well. bring up uh, Batman Begins, the, the, the screenwriter Sam Hamm, Warner Brothers let him do some graphic novels as a, as a shoot-off. And I forget the name of the graphic novels he did. Uh, they escaped me. But in the graphic novels, he invented a character, which was for the first time, that ended up being the oh. alter ego of yeah, Liam like Neeson's Raja Ghouls like, uh, that showed up in Batman Begins. Pseudonym, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so it's like you look at it's so weird the Nolan which are completely different properties yeah yeah or different films same property but they're giving look at a the little influence. nod yeah, to with Sam Hamm who was the original yeah with, with that deleted scene with him and got marketing something you and I both love is that uh, the the comic book adaptation which was written by oh it's freaking De- great Denny O'Neill yeah even though it's pretty much just the script I don't I'm not sure what he wrote <laughs> yeah and, I mean the the, and the, the, was, the, the, and the novelization amazing. was huge the novelization we both own me and you both own the novelization I, I remember and, and you, it came out before the movie yeah so it was like this big it's a shitty thing. cover too I wish they had done a different cover just the two of them on it and it's pretty accurate to the to the actual screen like the actual movie uh, but it does have like a scene that got cut out which is a big kind of confrontation scene between Batman and uh, the Joker, in which Batman rides a horse through Gotham City. Uh, uh, was it that they, they stole that for freaking what's the name of that movie? <laughs> uh, 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 True Lies. <laughs> and uh, that come that that scene comes after the Vicky Vale apartment scene where uh, Bruce Wayne gets shot. And there's a little bit. There's a I think there's a little bit more with 
Commissioner Gordon. And there's a lot more going on with the internal monologues of the Joker that gives a little bit more reason to his madness. And lastly, the biggest thing, and we've been we teased it slightly at the beginning of the episode. We have probably the oddest piece of merchandise that came out of the Batman movie, 1989. I have in my hands. I'm holding it right now. You can hear it. We have a unopened box of Batman cereal. I don't believe that you're actually going to open this. We're going to open this, and I thought it would be fun, given the occasion. If you can hear that, this one has a. Uh, Comes with a little Batman bank. He's he's ladies and gentlemen, he's actually opened a twenty six year old <laughs> twenty two or whatever it is. Uh nineteen eighty nine. Twenty six year old uh bottle of uh, bottle uh, uh, a thing of shrink wrapped Batman cereal with now a holding, plastic I'm holding a plastic Batman coin bank. Ooh, let me see let me smell it circa nineteen eighty nine. Ooh. Wow. Where's the coins going? Oh, and they go in the back here. In the back. Soft glow nightlight. Please send me Batman night lights for each night light desired. Here's I have the cellophane $3. with a sticker that says free bank with purchase. Wow, 1989. You're opening that up? And then I'm going to open this baby I up. Ladies and, and I gentlemen, he's opening up. I can't believe this. He's <laughs> opening up 26 year old bottle of. Uh, of bottle. <laughs> I keep saying bottle. Of so natural fine. honey nut flavor. Um. Well, it l seems like it's in fairly good condition from being uh, well, I mean, shrink wrapped for 26 years. Sugar and stuff. Um, but I didn't, I'm surprised the plastic hasn't deteriorated. I figured, you know, how to, how else to celebrate an anniversary without taking a little taste this of the past? This is crazy, ladies and gentlemen. This is certainly a, a, a sleepover. I don't know. It smells weird. Yeah, well, because it's 26 years old. <laughs> it smells like the plastic. Let me see. Warning. The management of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers neither endorses, encourages, or condones an eating of a food product that is over a quarter century old. Be so advised and do so at your own risk. We here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers value our fans, and more importantly, we would like to keep them alive. Thank you very much for your patronage, and we now return you to the podcast, which is already in progress. Okay, I'm taking one in, ladies and gentlemen. We've decided that early on that we were going to do something that was... Seems all right. Interesting. Mm. A little plasticky. Yeah. But so it's, it's it, I could taste the honey nut. <laughs> it's like the plastic bag kind of bled through yeah. onto the cereal. Yeah. Oh, wow. You think we're going to get food poisoning later on? Like, this is what people do in a holocaust. You know, like an atomic holocaust. Obviously, it's so crunchy. I mean, you can hear it. But there's something weird. It's like... I don't know. There's something weird about the texture. Well, if we ever had an atomic holocaust, this is what we're going to have to do. So we got to get used to this. Well, we'll we can continue finishing up. Um, let's see. Last point before we close this bad boy out. We said that they oh. shot in the winter of in England in 2008, and I got to say, winter in, in England is pretty rough for it. it like it go, it, the the sun comes up really late and goes to bed I really wish early. Had something to wash this. Yeah, it's quite dry, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So. Uh, if these guys were getting a set, the sun goes down in England like 3, 4 o'clock. Yeah. So if they're getting a set at 3 o'clock and they're working until like 4 in the morning, they're just working in darkness for like 6 months. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Burton says like he didn't see light, daylight forever. Um, one of the homages to the, to, 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 we talked about all of the stuff that got Batman together. We have Zorro was a huge influence. Um, Don Diego uh, Vega. And there's a movie that, that Bob Kane actually cites, a Douglas Fairbanks senior, Fairbanks senior movie from 1920 called The Mark of Zorro. And that is one of the ones he cites with the, one of the inspirations for um, Batman. And traditionally, 
uh, Batman is always going to see the Mark of Zorro the night he gets killed. But wow. which is interesting, though. I don't know why they didn't keep it for this movie because in this movie, which it definitely changes. Yeah, it's it's foot movie history. In this one, it's it's foot uh, footlight frenzy is what they're seeing the night he gets killed in the Tim Burton one. And then in the Christopher Nolan ones, they're at Deflator Mouse and Opera. Yeah, so I would have cool if they kept it like in the comic books. Um, I, I can't don't believe we're still eating it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's disgusting as it tastes. Like you can't put it down. It's like you got, yeah, you kind of, it's kind of getting a little, uh... All right, so with our new anniversary, we decided to have the new segment. I'm going to do what? what we seg- Sorry. We decided to have a new segment of the show. Okay. You're like, telling me, I know. Sorry, yes. <laughs> I agree with you. Where uh, we were going to make suggestions. And originally, we didn't really know what, in what vein these suggestions would be. Yeah, not career ch- choices in life. Like, that. we think you should really save. An IRA is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, 401k, just, just sacrifice that really expensive vacation. And, but we would suggest other movies, and it was like, okay, so how are we going to... So we decided... We have I, two I, more of these, and I'll stop, because I'm all I'm crunching. I know. Audience is just I'm not... That, and they're, right. they're really getting gross. Well, this is your idea. I know. And I'm not sure, and now I'm wondering if it was a good idea. Yeah, we should have checked the internets before. Ugh. But, okay, <laughs> let me... Uh, yeah, our new su- segment. As my stomach settles, uh, my stomach settles. Um, we decided, okay, if you're gonna, you know, on a sleepover, you're not gonna watch just one movie. No, usually not. That's beauty. That's the beauty of sleepovers. You watch those babies until the sun comes up. So we decided we'd make maybe a couple of suggestions if you were gonna curate like a perfect Batman sleepover. Yeah. So since this week we're doing uh, for our sleepover movie, of course you know already Batman. <laughs> At least we hope you figure it yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing we go. So we think uh, as opposed to just just us saying like, hey, do shoot to kill with uh, Sydney Portier and Tom Berenger. That's a good sleepover movie. <laughs> we're, we're catering around <laughs> that we're saying no. Let's do a movie that's kind of related to what we're doing because usually. For the most part, I guess it didn't always be this way, but you'd get you try to say in the theme. Well, like I remember you know, horror movies, you get a bunch of horror movies. You know, sometimes in the midst of Batmania of nineteen eighty nine, I'm still going in, ladies and gentlemen. I know. I, I think I'm going to have to cut you off because I'm afraid that we're gonna one more. Get, we're going to yeah, annoy the audience. <laughs> if we're going to get sick eating these uh, things. Okay, sorry. Mr. Batman before Batman came out I had a sleepover. Yeah. And we rented, I guess maybe Batman had come out, maybe we were waiting for the video release and come out, because I think it was for my birthday, my birthday, 1989. Uh, you were 62 that so day. So almost exactly, you know, uh, 55 a, almost years a, ago. basically an anniversary. Yeah, for, for you. Um, we rented the 66 Batman movie. Great fucking movie. I gotta so, say. So good. But that's not the but that that's though, not the recommendation. That's a sleepover movie yeah. that you and could, if you guys you, wanted, could if you haven't it. seen the bat if you haven't seen they just released the series on Blu-ray Blu-ray which is really good a lot of extras but if you haven't seen that for like it's over ten years now or maybe even fifteen they've had the Batman sixty six movie and that's really good if you haven't seen that go check that out. But that's just an example of the kind of movie. Yeah, that would be a good movie. So we're gonna do a recommendation now quickly before we close out. I think I'm, the, I'm picking a movie that would never have gotten made without Batman eighty nine. Okay, and I'm going with a class. Classic, I think terribly underrated, 1991, Disney made The Rocketeer. Oh, so good. With uh, Billy Campbell. Yeah. The beautiful Jennifer Connelly. Back when she Al still Harkin. had a, a really uh, robust Timothy frame. Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Uh, Paul Servino. Uh, period um, action. It's very pulp serial, you know. Freaking awesome. Speaking of serial. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. Not S-E-R-I-L, <laughs> but C-E-R-E-L. Just a wonderful piece of And it, it, fun. it has a great heart. It's really a good movie. It kind of flopped when it came out, sadly. I don't know why. Maybe because pe- they were, 
the, the market was saturated with. <laughs> There's with actually flies yeah. gathering around the box. <laughs> no lies. That's right funny. Now. We're 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 wafting flies <laughs> away because um, of the stench. Uh, so. Uh, I don't know if it was just waning that time, superhero movies by that time, because the market was filled with yeah, a glut. I don't know, I don't know why it just a, didn't hit. And it, just, it holds up, too. It's, it's a great such movie. It's such a you great, know, fun... You know, we actually get a lot of comments on Facebook and stuff where people talking about showing movies to their kids. Yeah, Rocketeer is definitely awesome. Yeah. Uh, I would Rocketeer is one that you got to yeah. show the kids. I know, yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely do that as a sleepover. Uh, and, you know, there's so much Eventually, stuff in there. we'll get to you that. You know, Rondo but, Hat and all the all the What a wonderful everything. sleepover movie. Uh, do sleepover. Batman... Paired? What a rocketeer. Um, if you were going to pick one, which uh, one would you pick? I don't know. It's it's a tough decision. I have two. I'm trying to narrow down to one. Uh, I would say The Shadow. Alec Baldwin's The Shadow. I was going to say Dick Tracy. Very much the same vein. Well, it's the same well, thing. I mean, Lamont Cr- Cranston, you know, like we said. It's like one you know, begot the other. Uh, I mean, Peter Boyle's in that. You have Tim Curry as the bad guy. Ian e. McKellen shows up uh, in a young role when he was still trying to get a career. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very... Very much in the vein of this Batman movie here. This that flopped as that well. Would be like, I don't know would why. Be a, that would be a great. That Double would be a, like a triple, like yeah. all, even though we've discussed this one's kind of timeless. Yeah, but it does. There's an old feel to it, so there would be like this great period. You know, and like I said, pulpy. Dick Tracy's freaking great too. I mean, the costume design alone on that movie and the primary colors and all that. I don't know if the story holds up, but just everybody and their mothers. In that I movie. even said, you know, I even said like that that there's a Batman Beyond Return of the Joker animated. Yes, kind of love. That I think is so kind of fun. It's messed um, up as an enemy. It, it's really messed up. That would be a maybe a fun mask of the phantasm. Mask of the phantasm. No, that was a theatrical so release many great movie. Movies. Um, we were going to do two, and now we've, we've we've just gone overboard. Uh, well, but it's it's a new segment, so we're trying to still get get the we're handle we're of getting, it. We're getting uh, one last thing before we go, I brought Cape Fear up a long time ago, and I wanted to discuss it. Like the whole point of this movie. Uh, you know, Batman's by the end of it, he's killing people. He's you know, he basically kills the Joker. He he gets it so the Joker can't get away. And it's interesting. The whole point of Cape Fear with De Niro's version, uh, the Scorsese movie, is Maximilian Cady wants to bring Nick Nolte. Uh, down to his level to show them, you know, yeah. we are the same, you and me. And, you know, Nick Nolte thinks he's not. He's higher than him. It's different yeah. pri- privilege, different classes. But at the end of the movie, he succeeds. Uh, De Niro succeeds and almost lets himself die because he says, look, I've succeeded. We are the same, you and I, no matter what. And this is the same thing. In, I feel like it's the same dichotomy in this movie. The Joker gets Batman to the level where he gets him so enraged by the end of it that he basically kills the Joker. And yeah. he's like, look, he's like, you made me, I made you. And then he says that, the first thing he says when he grabs him, I'm going to kill you. And then, and then that's when they get into, like, you made me, no, I made you first. Yeah. So I think there's a whole uh, subtext there, a subplot where it's, it's interesting that he, he does bring, Joker succeeds in bringing Batman into his level and gets him to, like, he's killing the henchman at the end. Interesting. And he, he, in- he actually does kill the Joker by, you know. thought of it that way. You know, so he does kind of win in a certain extent, you know, and he he's makes peace with it by letting himself go. This was an epic cast. This was an epic I cast. I do have to say, the... And there's stuff in here we didn't even, you I know... know. We're going to need a part two at some point. Yeah. Maybe next next, next, next September we'll yeah. do part but two. But the sun's coming up, for Christ's sake. <laughs> the birds are out. I know. We'll you take know. a picture. I, I think I can Ooh. smell the coffee. My mom is brewing coffee. I do want to say, you know, the response we've been getting on Facebook and messages are great. I want to give a shout out to uh, Ryan Reddle and Jimmy White and Lloyd Thompson, just three yeah. of our amazing fans that have been messaging us. Messaging us. We've been getting a lot of requests, I which do, we're going to start doing very soon. I'd say uh, as well, Sean Ash. 
Sean Ash. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's coming he's, every day. I mean, it's, every, you know, and it's so cool <laughs> to just think that, like, we have this dialogue with these with fans. We just put a movie up. We and love like, hearing from everybody. You know, and we try to, like, throw, like, uh, little, like, you know, uh, right turns at you. You remember this? And they're like, holy crap. And it's like, it's <laughs> cool that they're like, I do. And like, we're, we're like, all right, do you? And they're like, I do. And like, so do we. And it's like, <laughs> so know, it's, it's, it's shared love yeah. of nostalgia for, for movies, which is a wonderful thing. We get a lot of great stories. And uh, I would say, as usual, you know, you can check us out on yeah. our various outlets. Uh, we're on uh, SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com. We have, uh, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Player FM, we're uh, Saturday Movie Sleepovers. Um, uh, you can, you can down, we're always free no matter what we do. So don't think you have to pay any money unless you want to. You can, cut us a check. <laughs> you can certainly awesome. cut us a check. But you can you can download us on those. Uh, you can subscribe and download us there. You know, uh, review us, tell other people about us, share our links. Uh, you can go to our site. Yeah, uh, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. You can subscribe to us. Uh, it's very beneficial to us, guys. So that would be helpful if you if you're up for it. If that's how you listen to us, you might as well just subscribe. To yeah, it. and if you go to SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com, uh, you can Google us at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You can find us there, and you can download our cast directly from there, or you can stream it. So if yeah, you don't you want to download, you can do a little it, right click, download, then, or you to can your just desktop, or you can listen to it right on there with the player. And then uh, we're on i uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Check our Facebook page out. We're on uh, Twitter at at Sat Sleepovers, and you can uh, share us, retweet us, tweet us, tweet, 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 tweet favor our tweets. Um, you could tell friends on Facebook. You can have conversations with us, and you can tell us about stuff, recommend stuff. We love hearing. It's so amazing to actually hear from people. I know. That, that I mean, we're not alone. We're not just talking to ourselves <laughs> in this. It is good to know in this asbestos-filled basement. And then we get to hear. We get people send us their own nostalgic stories, which are awesome to read. That's yeah. It's, it's so awesome. And then. Uh, Pretty soon we'll have a mailbag. Addition, <laughs> uh, we're pulling stuff out, you know, long, snail mail. Dear Dion and Blake. Yeah, we always sound like Mr. <laughs> Dear Mr. Robbie, Joe Spinell. Dear Mr. Robbie, my uh, father. We're, we're, uh, we're also at podwits.com. Uh, you could check uh, me out there as well as you could check uh, uh, me and Jay Blake. Did a side cast there, which we're actually going to start reposting here. Yeah, we have some old casts that we did for... Uh, a site that uh, Dion was a founding father of, um, but we're going to start reposting them, maybe with a little, a couple of little extras. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, we have a we have a two Batman ones that we might do. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely companion repost them pieces because we did them at the seventy five and seventy fifth anniversary of Batman, which was only last year. We so got big, fairly recent. We got big plans. We got yeah. a big Halloween spectacular Jeez, happening. We got a lot going on. We have a big special going on. We're going to be actually doing. Usually, we come out as you know, who are regular listeners. We come out bi weekly. To, to a month, but we're actually planning to actually do one a week. So we're, we've we've actually uh, cut off all our Saturday nights, and we're actually going to be doing two, uh, doing one cast a week. So for the month of October, and we're going to see how it goes. We're yeah, going to be, yeah. be even though there's five weeks in in, in all, uh, October 2015. We might, we might throw a little side cast or something. Yeah, up something for that fifth week. But we haven't decided yet. But, but we're, we're going to be doing at least four four, four horror. We're doing horror movies since it's October for Halloween. We're going to do horror it's gonna month. be a big Halloween content. And we're going to do, yeah, we're not going to tell you yet what we're going to do, but we're going to do some really fun stuff, and, uh, and hopefully and you'll love year. it all. You know, who knows? You we know. got the requests coming up. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're stuff. doing a request in 
November, and then we're doing a. Uh, we a might do a request as one of the Halloween movies too. We'll see. Yeah, and then we're and then we have a, a movie near and dear to our hearts for th- November, and then we're already at Christmas. We're already at cri- at the end of the year. Holidays December. are big time for, for studying yeah. movies. Yeah, well, because they're holidays. fun because we get to highlight holiday movies. So we get the theme. It. Thank you very much. Come listen to us. Like I said, two weeks or hell, maybe even next week. I don't know when it was going to start. <laughs> we're going to start having a show of Halloween movies we might, coming we might, out. You we know, might, but we're going to be pretty active for the yeah. We're, for I mean, the we're ne- for the next month. Or for, so. for we know we're doing a, a pretty sweet '80s horror movie. Uh, we're not going to give it any away, but we'll just hint. It's a remake. We're doing a pretty sweet old school. We're going. We're going yeah. way we're down going the like alley. Midnight. You know. Yeah, it's creature feature. Creature we're, we're feature doing, but introduced but by, uh, <laughs> by yeah. like horror. Uh, you know, those horror old creature school, feature old guys. Stuff. Yeah, we're doing a real uh, one that we love. That's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, and then we're doing another one. That's another. It's a sequel to a very big property. Yeah. Uh, that we're going to be doing well. So those are the three. We'll, we'll give you. A, well, we'll showcase t- you three. Tickle the balls a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I would say. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Can't <laughs> to keep it clean and tickle them because you don't want to get any infections down there. But we're just tickling your ball a little bit. Get you interested. So. Um, Please keep listening, and we're going to finish eating finish these. Finish up this box of cereal. Maybe yeah. we should get some milk. I don't know if we need any milk. Oh, I might just make it more for us. Yeah, maybe we'll turn into all the the radium and asbestos in here. <laughs> we'll just all become, you know. God. So, but well, please keep listening. Tell a friend. And until next time, we'll see you down the alley. Later. No, oh, I hear it's like tooth. I got like instant heartburn from this shit. This is a filling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's not even my filling. <laughs> <laughs>